Joining us on the couch today is Mayhem's very own Jackson Thomas. If you're an NBA fan, if you're new to the hobby, if you've always wondered what NBA sports cards are about, this is definitely an episode that you don't want to miss. Jackson and I talk about the differences between retail and hobby boxes, the market and economy for NBA cards. We talk predictions for the future with changes to the industry coming, grading, and everything in between. Hope you enjoy. Are you ready to begin? Humans and Pokemon. I present to you the collector. Hey, this is podcast. It's crazy. No, it's sophisticated. It's not. It's awesome. Trust me. Some fellas collect stamps. We collect information. We collect everything. You're listening. Are you listening? Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. It's mayhem. It's mayhem. Mayhem and famous collectibles guy. Let's do this. Come on, let's have some fun. Jackson, how are you, man? Good, thanks, man. How are you? Good, bro. Good. So the reason why I wanted to get you on to the podcast, obviously, we're going to be talking sports cards, where you see the industry going. But I think the interesting thing with you is the age that you got into sports cards, using it not only just as a hobby and, and something that you're passionate about, but something that you've also turned into a way to make money, generate a little bit of extra income. I know you provide a lot of support and advice to the customers that come to Mayhem. So I think it'd be really you know, it'd be really cool to sort of sit you down, get you on the couch and have a chat to you about how you got started in it and any advice, tips and tricks you can give for people out there, you know, your age, older, even younger, looking to get into it the way that you did. Uh, yeah. First of all, just want to say thank you for having me on here. Um, obviously, I'm in a pretty entitled uh, list of guests that's been on here so far. So thanks for this, Mick. Um, I You're started welcome, collecting sports cards properly as kind of when the massive boom happened. So at the start of COVID in 2020, I went to a hobby card store and my dad bought me one box of cards. Luckily enough, the card in the box was worth about, oh, I want to say nine and a half grand at the time. Wow. Um, yeah, I've still got that one. So I opened one box of Contenders Optic uh, NBA 2020 and got an Anthony Edwards Cracked Ice Rookie on-card autograph. So I've still got that to this day, but then uh, I, I like to think I'm a pretty um, full-on person. So I started researching all these things and cards had just taken off so much that there was just too much money to be made in them for me not to be interested. So prior to you buying that box or your dad buying that box for you, sorry, mm -hmm. you've always been a sports fan, a fan Absolutely. of sports. I know that you're playing at the Oval behind yep. us or in front of us for the Red Legs. Yep. How long had you been a fan of the NBA? Because it's predominantly NBA cards that you collect, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I know that you dabble in AFL cards and a bit of NFL cards as well, but primarily it's always NBA. Yeah. So I've been a fan of the NBA for as long as I can remember. Um, I've always been, the reason I started getting into the NBA, I reckon I was about six, KD. So I've always been a Thunder fan. Unfortunately, as everyone knows, he left, but I stayed um, true to my team. I didn't jump the bandwagon, but I, I just love all of it, man. I've, I've always been a sporty kid. So I just wanted a second sport. I played basketball for uh, five, five years. I've always just been a massive sporty kid. And then I could saw there was cards of it. I've done footy cards since 2006. Yep. Um, so I did my first one when I was just turning three. And I had every, so from 2006 to about 2017, I've had every full collection of cards, like all that stuff. And then I found out that there was basketball cards I hadn't known prior. And then TikTok, other so forms of social media, they're just everywhere. They were all over that at COVID times. And yeah, the, the boom was just so big that um, I think hooked everyone. So you'd always be interested in sort of cards before collecting, but not to the level that you are now or not to the level that you were back when COVID happened. And it was during COVID, and this speaks to, you know, Pokemon and everything in between, not just sports cards, but it was during a time where all of the industry itself had sort of erupted and cards were at the front line and cards were getting bought and it was impossible to sort of, you know, rationalise how crazy some of these prices of, of, of cards were going for it's across all genres. So it was the, 
the content you were digesting online that led you to go, okay, dad, can I get a box of basketball cards? Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, this great place wasn't around when it, when it first kicked off. I think that's <laughs> when you and other Mick started to yep. obviously just started getting into it as well. Every, it was everywhere, like how eBay works, tax, fees, comps, so much more to delve into. Um, I was never really one for the other sort of po like Pokemon and stuff like that, but obviously being here, I've started, uh, started to love the Pokemon stuff, but just mainly sports is what I started with. Just there was so much research to be done, especially when you're starting. So I think that's why I like to like help the younger kids more because I didn't have anyone telling me that when I first started. I just Absolutely. kind of had to watch so much YouTube and websites and stuff to um, yeah learn everything that was going on. So just to give you a little bit of background, you were 17 at the time. Yes. You were already monetizing your collection. Mm -hmm. You were going out and buying cards, what you considered to be a good price, flipping them online using various platforms and to me i was so impressed that a 17 year old kid being able to do that and so on top of it where a lot of the adults that had sort of collected cards back in the 90s you know especially my age where you had that big junk wax era so much has changed since the 90s now to what sports cards are now yes that it's a different world isn't it it's literally the complete opposite of what it was in the 90s like it falls in the same category as pokemon but kind of the opposite is in if you had Pokemon cards from 1990, they've appreciated 100 to 1,000 times what they were. Yeah. Whereas NBA, it's the opposite. So like a lot of people walk through the door thinking, I'm going to have a million dollar Michael Jordan card. Yeah. In, in reality, you're lucky to have one that's worth over $3. Yeah. So in, back in the day, I wasn't around. I had no idea. I wasn't even born. But um, the amount of like boxes and things, so that was upper deck, Fleer was probably the number one, but the, like the higher end NBA cards from the vintage are worth a load, but they are so hard to come by because you had to yep. be buying back in the day the $300 boxes yep. to be getting them. In saying that, the, like if you were around in 1986 when that Fleer set came out, I haven't, I'm yet to meet anybody that was in, around in 1986 to have a box of those cards and still be able to hang on to a Jordan. Yeah, you and I are always privy to the stories of the people that walk in the store and they say, I remember, you know, pulling kobe autos and you know uh, patch autos and uh rpas of players back in the day and they were going for peanuts as well and then yep. now they've appreciated tremendously in value they've only select players i yes. mean you're only looking at a caliber of players like kobe bryant bill russell uh, michael jordan compared to the cards at the at the moment the rpas that are going yeah. out there oh. and the types of cards and the numbered cards and the cards that are being put out in the series and how expensive the boxes are compared to what they used to be, it's a different level. It's a, just yeah, a different level it, now. Honestly, um, I start to believe that some of that vintage stuff is super undervalued, but that becomes on there are so many more printed. Yeah. So like, let's say like a Shaquille O'Neal rookie card, right? That was yep. in 1990. I can't remember the year. Anyway, um, they printed, there'd be millions of those in existence, whereas... You could get a bench warmer in like a prism set from 2023 and it'd be worth more than the Shaquille O'Neal one simply because mm. it's so much like lower printed. Yeah. Even though Shaq is legendary player, right? One of the probably the most dominant player to ever play the game. Yep. And you could buy one of his rookie cards for about three bucks. So I think that in terms of it being super undervalued, yeah, because you can get a Shaquille O'Neal what's labeled as a rookie card for $3, but there's just so many existence that it renders uh, like just valueless really. Okay, so back in the day, for those of you that don't know, there wasn't really such things as hobby boxes. Mm -hmm. Everyone was buying cards from the same boxes as everyone else was, much like Pokemon, right? Yes. So seven bucks, everyone gets the same sort of shot. 
at getting those big cards. Yeah, so instead of Charizard, it was Michael Jordan. Correct. Exactly the same. Not only that, they were even rarer to get. Absolutely. You know, to, to, to get those high-end Michael Jordans or those high-end sort of cards. Nowadays, the levels are completely different. Oh. The retail experience from NBA, and if you start, let's just say we start at the bottom. So we're talking gravity-fed hoops. Yeah, $3. Okay, $3 a pack. Right up to flawless. Yeah, eminence. Eminence. Oh, You're talking treasures, for, yeah. for a pack with, what, is it a couple more cards in it? I um, think flawless has 10. Flawless has nine. Nine. And what yeah. does a gravity-fed get you? Five. Five. So four more cards, obviously yeah. different types of cards, oh. but four more cards, $12,497 difference. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Again. So everyone's not on the same level anymore. Oh, you can pay to win, technically. You can. It's it's a much more pay to win thing. It's not like Pokemon where pretty much everyone's guaranteed the same weight because there's only one type of pack. In a way, I think that NBA has done it the right way because there's got to be different levels to collecting. Kids, well and good, buying like things like Pokemon, Dragon Ball. It's cool, seven dollars a pack. You got the same chance as an adult who's got a million dollars in his bank account of getting something good. But I think that basketball cards have a certain. It's like buying a stock. I've always thought of it as stocks. So the only way to buy stock in an NBA player is buying their cards. I think I picked a couple of good ones in my time. Um, I think that's the thing that I pride myself about most is uh, the research and stuff that I do on the players. I want to go back on that because when we're talking and we're talking about your sort of journey, mm -hmm. I'm going to take it back to when we're at COVID. Now you've opened your box. You've hit a big one. You've hit your Ant-Man, Rookie Auto. Yep. Okay. You'd been what you, you, you were still watching basketball. Absolutely. You were keeping up with things. So the bubbles. Yeah, Absolutely. You were keeping up with the rookie with the rookie reports, the scouting, knowing who's coming to the NBA. It's pretty easy to do. I mean, if NBA is your game and you mm -hmm. love it and it's your passion and you follow it as a hobby, there is that much online content that you Absolutely. can yeah that, that that you can go and take in that'll give you this information. So you were doing that at that time. You bought your first box. When did you first start to be like, okay? I'm going to start monetizing this now. Let's see if I can actually, apart from just, I mean, because it is a gamble. When you are opening a box and you pull an Anthony Absolutely. Edwards, it's not going to happen all the time. No, what, we we rip enough stuff here, Jackson, oh, to know that it, it's few me. and far between. Yeah, absolutely. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. Exactly. So that's the gamble. Yep. You're buying a box. Yep. Jackson had a gamble. It paid off. Having said that, you haven't sold that Anthony Edwards as far as I know. So Still got it. Still got it. So when did you start to be like, okay, I'm going to start monetizing this now? Honestly, the day I got the Anthony Edwards card, I didn't even know what it was worth. I didn't know how to comp it. I didn't know how to look anything up. There was no app on your phone to scan it and tell you how much it was worth. It was nothing like that at all. Um, I'd say, oh, cool. This guy's signed it on the card. Didn't I knew who he was, obviously. Yeah. Pick number one, but you had no idea what it was worth. And then, oh, like I want to say two or three weeks later, just TikTok, YouTube. It just started to come up. Instagram, more than anything, just started to come up. There's certain YouTubers like sports card investor that's probably mm -hmm. the one i watch the most just because the way he thinks about the market is a lot different to other people he looks at it as a stock so he keeps a um on his app he keeps a a level of the whole he calls it sci index instead of the s p 500 yeah it's called the sports card industry index yeah so he's kept a level of that over five years it's actually so it peaked or oh, i want to say from the market in about mid 2020 to what it is now it's down like oh from the hyper cards, I want to say it's down about two and a half thousand percent. Yeah, but so is everything since Absolutely. COVID. Absolutely, I, I think that card related that is. Um, I think that 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 height will be hit again, and I don't think it was because it's dying. Anything. There's more people in this industry than there ever has been before. I think there was just the ample sole amount of cards that were bought 
mm. in that time and the stupid prices that we're going for. Like the first card I ever listed on eBay was a Luka Doncic base card. So I wanted to try that out about, uh, like I said before, two weeks after I got that Anthony Edwards, I was like, well, let's make an eBay account, see how I go. Let's list something because I'm not going to do anything with half of these cards. I was just like, I'm just going to try list it. I sold a Luka Doncic base card for $15. Wow. Not rookie, base. Base card, just a normal From a your normal optic base box. card. Optic 2020, re- wow. like a retail pack, just a Luka Doncic. That's crazy. And then from there you were like, okay, so there's a market. Yeah. People are into this. So many people are into this. <laughs> How did it grow from there? It stayed about stagnant for, I want to say, about three months. I just buy a pack of cards, go into a shop. What have you got for singles? It just started to, it just started to slowly and slowly grow. I think the main jump I had was when I started here. Okay. That's when I realized I can properly do this. The amount of time, when I'm working here, there's NBA on the screen. People are talking about it, talking to customers. Like, there's so much you can soak up. I think just from even watching NBA highlights, I say that to kids all the time. All you have to do is just watch the weekly highlight plays. If you find one rookie and you've got no idea who he is or no one has any idea who he is, just buy one of his cards. Might cost you a dollar. Worst thing, worst case, it's worth a cent. Mm. You lose 99 cents over the chance of a Michael Jordan rookie card probably cost a dollar back in 1986. <laughs> so that's what I always say is just it's, it's not that hard. So when you say it's not that hard, when you're going and you're saying, okay, well, I'm buying packs and I'm buying singles and then yeah. you are obviously knowing the type of packs and knowing the type of singles and the, the players that you're wanting to pick up. Yeah. Based on what, watching those highlights and just keeping up with the game? Yeah. So the main things I look for in types of que- in terms of cues, obviously you've got to get the right players and the hype around them. So anytime there's an NBA draft and the pick number one, the, the first release of cards that that man has are always so, so, so expensive purely off of hype. Any product that comes out in terms of NBA hobby stuff, mm-hmm. the prices are about five times what they should be. And if you sell them on that day, You'll, you'll easily make, oh, even if you get in a pack, probably five or six times your money. Yeah. We speak about this a lot at the shop, especially when it, becomes, when it comes to basketball players. Hype is everything. Absolutely. Hype is everything. And you can be the hottest prospect. And, and unlike Pokemon and unlike a lot of other TCGs, even sometimes unlike a lot of other sports, NBA is so fluid in the fact that, you know, you mentioned the word stocks before. Great analogy. I use it as well. Mm-hmm. They go up and down and it's a volatile market. Oh, it is It is so volatile. If you're, if you're playing around with current day rookies or rookies from one or two years ago, yeah. that market is extremely volatile. Volatile is absolutely the best way to put it. Um, I think the main thing, honestly, that I ever get scared about when I'm buying a single card, what if he breaks his ankle the next day? Yeah, They're playing every two days, physical game, especially I like the, like the smaller guys. Everyone does. That's how it works. Um, say Stephen Curry, for example, halfway through last year's playoffs, injured, misses half the regular season, his prices halved. Ja Morant did some stupid things. All those prices just absolutely tanked. And yeah. although they bounce back, but it's just a long wait. So I kind of just like to put my eggs in a couple of different baskets. That's just in it, case that, one turns pear shape. And that's very true. You know, I always look at diversity as being a really good safeguard as well. I think everyone learned a lot of lessons around Zion Williamson Absolutely. and investing it's really big analogy. in him. Um, you know, coming out of Duke University, no one had had more hype than Zion Williamson since, you know, year LeBron. Mm-hmm. And everyone was buying up his cards at a ridiculous, ridiculous um, rate. Following on from that, um, I think that there will be 
that obviously the upcoming draft prospect, Victor Wembanyama, yeah, has been labelled by I've seen ESPN do a better prospect than LeBron James. I just don't think it's hit the card market yet, and I think when he gets drafted or like the hype's just around the corner for the NBA draft, the it'll go higher. To I think personally, I agree with you. I mean, seven foot five can dribble like a point guard, shoots the ball, can shoot extremely well, he shoots extremely well played, from anywhere. He's played in the French National League since he was 16 so he's been playing against men Lamelo had a good Lamelo wasn't that successful in australia he's still looking at the nba yeah the nba is an easier luka Doncic says that Jokic says that it's easier to score in the nba than it is in europe just because it's so much more physical and the rules are different correct but going back to sort of zion williamson and you mentioned Lamelo ball that's another good example yeah. when Lamelo ball won rookie of the year his prices that year that he had against anthony edwards because yeah. he was the number two Anthony yep. Edwards was number one. The year that he had was an absolute cracker and everyone jumped on board. Lamelo cards were going for stupid amounts of money. Yeah. Stupid. Having said that, Anthony Edwards wasn't cheap either, but Lamelo Bowl by far outweighed everyone in terms of popularity in the card market at that point. Absolutely. Same as Zion Williamson got injured and has been plagued with injury really. The whole time. The whole time. And look at the card prices. Look how much they were significantly impacted on that. Mm -hmm. So going back to that piece of advice that you gave about not putting all your eggs in the one basket rings very, very true in basketball. Yes. Because a lot of people did with Zion, man. Oh, a lot of people I've, did with I've Zion. I've seen some horror stories. I've, if you go on to a, like a website, you can see the kind of the difference in the market. So I saw a, uh, a video on Instagram of Zion Williamson's national, uh, sorry, his flawless RPA vertical out of 15 sold for $111,000 in 2020. Yep. It's now a bid for 8300 with a day and a half to go. It's crazy, isn't it? It's insane. And we see it every day. Yeah, absolutely. We see it every day. My advice, and I don't know if you agree with me or not, but when it comes to rookies having a sensational first year, I always think maximize on it. Oh, 100%. Maximize on it. I mean, we've had, you know, we've had the luck to pull Scotty Bunn RPA out of National Treasures out of 49. Cade. We've had some, yeah, Cade, Cade Sneaker Spotlight. The, the, the Gold Prism. The Gold Prism. You know, we've, we've pulled some big hits, every single one of which, you know, Tyree Smacks, you had a few beautiful Absolutely. ones too. Every single one of which is not worth a fraction of the price it was demanding at the time that it is now. Absolutely. So one of the main things I, I always try to do is not think about how much money I can get one day. Say I spent $100 on a card. If I can easily turn it into $180, $200 that day, I just take it and forget about it. Forget it even happened. I've doubled my money. I'm happy. Rather than, oh, if he has a good playoff series, I might go to $350. What if he does his ACL? Then yeah. you're back at zero. So well, I what about if he doesn't think, perform? Absolutely. That's oh, Some people just get scared of the playoffs. Jason Tatum is, I don't want to say he's a prime example, but he, he tends to get outplayed come playoff time and his prices skyrocket because his team's great. But then his performance just seems to let his card prices down a bit and they always, always go down. And then you've got the other card prices of, you know, players who have performed amazingly throughout the season, like Luka Doncic, yep. whose team doesn't make the playoffs. And all of a sudden, look at his card prices. Oh, yeah. They um, tank. Absolutely. Because he's no longer relevant. And it goes back to the hype. Yep. If there's no hype around the players. And, and the basketball, the, the NBA market is very, very reactionary. Not a lot of people well, that I've found anyway among the astute investors yep. are buying and selling cards during volatile periods, but everyone else is. Absolutely. So what's happening is 
I mean, during the playoffs, it's pretty much every game. Every oh. game you see you see different card prices do crazy things or different yeah. player prices, sorry, of cards. But Trae all Young. of a sudden, yeah, Trey Young, absolutely. And you know what? I wouldn't have touched one of his cards yeah. during the regular season. I still don't. Scared. <laughs> but would you have touched one of Trey Young's cards during the regular season? No. I think even come up to game three in the playoffs, it was just so hit and miss. Like might have 35 points one day, seven the next day because he shoots 25 shots a game. He has seven turnovers every time. But then somehow he just turns it on when he needs to. And it makes his prices go so high. Correct. To what they were at the start of the season. Absolutely. At the start of the season, would I have thought De'Aaron Fox? No. At the start, neither would I. Neither would have I. Are you all talking about the the base level of cards? Just or? their cards. Their cards in general, and we'll sort of we'll talk we'll talk about what the different cards are and what makes them different cards. And you know, when you when you're thinking cards of these players, they can be so varied. They can yep. be from their rookie cards. You know, their their standard prism rookies or select rookies. They can be, you know, numbered cards. They could be autoed. They could be RPA'd, which is a rookie patch auto. Um, they could be from a different sort of hobby series that are, yeah. uh, are more popular or a, a little bit more expensive. But when we say cards generally, I think um, Jackson and I are referring to the hobby end of their cards, yes. the, the larger sort of cards. So, yeah, you have the best saying, which is NBA Prism is like the world-renowned currency. Yeah. So the the most the cards I prefer to go to are the ones that people like more. So there's certain traits and things you can pick up, obviously with experience. But would you rather have a card that's signed on the card, held by the player, or he signs a sticker and they stick it on the card? Hmm. Obviously, it features, fetches a bit of a premium, but you got to pay the premium, and then it, it might go up one and a half times more than what his normal autograph does. See, this is where we can get into a rabbit hole because then I can talk about an on-card auto, maybe from contenders, mm-hmm. numbered. Yep. versus a gold out of 10 prism. Yeah, that's that's the fine line you walk on because I think that it's well and good saying that, but then there's also the price cost of the box. So don't get me wrong, you are right in terms of if you got a, let's say Josh Giddy for example, if you've got his gold prism autograph compared to a contenders on the card, people are still going to want the prism just because it's so much more liquid and easy to sell yeah. because everybody loves prism. Prism is that universal. Yeah, yeah. You're right. It's it's the universal product. It's the product that everyone goes back to. Yeah. Let's, for the sake of our listeners and Sam. Yeah, it's always for me because I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's. I learn so much every time I listen to this podcast. Well, let's take it back then and make it a little bit more educational. So, Jackson, let's sort of delve into, and we started touching on it, and I think we just went off track, and that's fine. Well, let's go back to it and explore it. When we're talking about retail versus hobby, yeah, right. Explain to the people listening and Sammy, what is the main difference between the retail packs out there and the hobby packs out there? Okay, so apart from the price, of course. Obviously, the price is the main thing. What's the first thing that strikes your eye, Absolutely. right? So a pack of the – again, I'll use Prism, for example. So a pack of retail Prism costs from anywhere from about 8 to $10. You get four cards. One of them will be a rookie and one of them will be classified as an insert. So that will be either in like a parallel – like a silver or they do – uh, retail specific ones that are green or there's it's like finding a needle in a haystack but you can get a numbered card in retail i've seen it a couple of times in prism you get but a it's, ma- it's mainly those flashy sort of inserts the yeah. prismatics or the yeah oh gosh there's so many of them now they're just more colorful yes essentially they're more colorful and pretty but they don't have any value yeah they don't really have a value so attached what, to so them. what are they making them for though like kids. are they like kids to collect it's, collect or just yeah. do they can you i guess you can't play with NBA. No, you can't really play with them. It's just for an it's for a, it's like an entry point into the whole thing. So they put the same logo, same name, it's still called Prism, but it's like an entry level product is what I like to call it. That's what I found interesting about 
the, well, the difference between an NBA cards and the way they structure that versus like a Pokemon card. Yeah. So we, you're saying for, for seven bucks you can get a big hit or, a, or not, but yeah, at least absolutely. for that for that same card or that same series, everyone's got the same the chance, op- the same chance, same opportunity. And you know, you obviously you battle and you can you can use the it's a card game cards that way. But with NBA, what's the point of selling a you know a retail because you've still got you've still got kids that are fans and you've yeah. still got you know kids that want to collect kids, sets. Kids are what makes hobby car like the basketball hobby alive. I think just because they drive not necessarily they don't care about the card prices as much. It's more about Stephen Curry just made a half court three pointer. Giannis dunked on somebody. Something along those lines. LeBron, fast break dunk, doing something flashy, like thinking about Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, just the way that they admire the players. If they get one of their cards, they'll cherish it like it's a million dollars. Yeah. It's the exact same with footy cards. Yeah. There is, you know, there's retail and hobby packs of footy cards, but even the hobby packs are on the lower end. Yes. And I think it's three bucks for a retail pack of footy cards yep. and about eight bucks yes, for hobby. Is that, a, is that right, yep. Jax? For select, yeah. Yeah. And kids love footy cards. Yeah. And we sell a ton of them. Yeah. But there is no value in the cards at all. Absolutely not. And it's much like NBA at that starting point. Yeah. Sam, where you're, you know, you're getting these packs from different brands under the Panini banner, whether it's uh, Don Russ, whether it's Prism, Contenders. Retail. They're, they're the main ones, really. Yeah. Don Select Russ do, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Select do, select do some retail stuff now, which I, I hate. Yeah. I'll be the first to say I hate it. I think that that was probably it's it's probably one of the most like looked forward to releases of the year is select hobby stuff, and I don't like that they've brought it into the retail um, market. But I think the reason why I prefer basketball cards to have all these different pricing compared to Pokemon is like I think we're back to a stock. So you can't buy a stock in a Pokemon card. You can't buy a stock of like you're buying a stock of a player, right? So you could buy a stock of a Jalen Green card for a dollar, right? He might go up 50%. His, Sam's card is now worth $1.50. Yeah. If I bought a card for $100,000, which is possible, and that goes up 50%, same market increase, yep. but I'm $50,000 richer. Yes. Whereas Pokemon, that is, it's never, ever going to happen. So I think from a like a an investment point of view, it is so much better having these expensive products. It's not based on Charizard's last performance in the anime series. Exactly. As, as well as saying that, your card might... If you're buying it for a dollar and he breaks his knee, breaks his leg, fractures his, oh, even like concussion, anything along those lines, might go down 50%. I'm out $50,000. You're only out 50 cents. It's all risk versus reward. And the NBA card market, like I said, is like playing stocks in a sense. Going back to retail versus hobby. So all of the stuff that you're seeing pretty much under 20 bucks is going to be in that retail section. Okay. It's going to be a very long shot. It's going to be a huge long shot to pull anything from a retail pack that is going to be worth your while or even cover the cost of your pack most of the time. Yeah. They're not designed to be that. No, not at all. It's, it's, just bu- a- it's like buying a scratchy ticket, just a, a cheap scratchy ticket. You might win a $10 prize if you're lucky. Yeah. At the at the very most, a $100 prize. Yeah, it's, yeah. But don't expect out of those retail packs to be pulling prizes, $10,000, $30,000 cards. No, it does not impossible. happen. It is impossible. So, yeah, I think it was an entry level for the kids. Like it was back in the 90s, they're only $7 a pack. They still are, but obviously you're not going to get anything of note like you are in just buying a hobby pack. And you touched on it before. I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of key things going on in the background that really make this hobby inaccessible to most people. Yeah. And one of the biggest ones is from what boxes were and the price of boxes to what they are now. Yes. It is astronomical. So you're talking oh. about Select and Prism five, six years ago 
going for $150 to $250 a box yep. as opposed now starting at Jackson? Uh, Prism this year runs about 1000 900 to 1000 And Select? Uh, about the same. About the same. And there's a huge increase in the box price you're paying before you even pulled anything. And the card values, even though they went skyrocketing through COVID, yeah. those card prices are back really to where the card prices were five or six years ago. Uh, yeah, I think they're still up a little bit and I think they'll continue to trend upwards of where they were probably in 2013. You're cause... right. Sorry. I meant more so based on the difference between the box price now yeah. and the box price back then. Yeah. So Panini, are, obviously their contract is expiring. Yes. Uh, Fanatics will take over. Um, Fanatics have been very good so far from what I've read about what they're doing. So Fanatics are changing everything up. They want to be, say you're brand new to the hobby, their entry point they're pushing is join a break rather than buy your first pack of a blaster box and sleeves and top loaders. They said join a break. So that's a completely, completely, completely different realm of basketball cards I think we'll delve into later. But we will. They've thought about it a whole different way and kind of flipped it on its head. I don't know if they're even going to do retail products. I'm assuming they will, but I'm not sure. But And I definitely want to get into that. Yeah. I definitely want to get into that. For the sake of Sam and everyone else, I want to bring it back to building from that retail versus hobby experience and getting into the hobby. So what makes the cards more valuable, Sam? And Jackson, you jump in at any point. Yep. Is based on a few different factors. First of all, like your retail, you've got different types of sets of the hobby cards. You've actually got a lot more sets of hobby cards than you do retail. 100%. And they all value in price. I mean, your very basic starting hobby pack of NBA is going to be your hoops. Yes. Starting at about yes. 200 bucks a box. Yeah. And you're getting a ton of cards. Hoops. You're still getting a ton of cards packs. like you will. Yeah. As you move up the line and you start going into your recons, your uh, fluxes, Don Russ hobby. revolutions, Donruss hobby, right through to your prism, select immaculate, immaculate stuff like that national treasures national treasures you you're, you're going from around the 200 dollars mark and you're going towards the you know court kings is a really popular yes. one at about that 500 450 yes. 500 price point contenders optic, contenders optic. Uh, origins is a beautiful set and that's at about 600 and what you funnily enough you start getting less and less for, less and less cards for your money yeah you know the more expensive it gets once you once you pass that four five hundred dollar mark it starts to go by packs. Yeah. So, you it's know, one you, it's one pack per box. That's unreal, isn't it? It is. But what it's doing is it's saying, okay, we're going to throw away all the junk and we're just going to focus on this. We're going to guarantee you one, maybe if you're lucky, two autos, depending yep. upon the box. Yep, yep. We're going to guarantee you numbered cards and we're going to guarantee you per case. Patches as well. Pat, yeah, patches. Sorry, rookie auto patches mm -hmm. or patches. They're called, memora they're called yep, memorabilia. memorabilia. They're the ones, Sam, with the little, with the little game-worn used packs yes, yes um and the sneaker the sneaker autos the sneaker order sneaker orders are a little bit different sneaker spotlight is exclusive to uh noir yes um which is about a two thousand eight hundred to three thousand dollar product um first off line fetch is about four grand four, four grand. grand okay cool and so sneaker spotlight was a uh, an insert from that particular product very very rare and yes. hard to and hard to pull um and it showed uh, their sneakers as their spotlight with an on-card autograph of yeah. the athlete. So that was just super popular because it was different. It, it was just, it was something that I hadn't seen before. And obviously it's going to be popular because shoes go hand in hand with the yeah. athletes and it's just such a pop culture thing. Yeah. And as well as Noir, I think did their sneaker spotlight very well. As touching on what you said, it is so much, it's like a, it's a very rare hit 
as well as they did it the right way of they waited until they'd had everyone sign the cards because you actually can't get most of the time if you get a Stephen Curry autograph it's a redemption that you've got to send to Panini if you get a Luka Doncic Jar Morant you got to send it to Panini Lamelo Bowl at the time remember yeah, that absolutely yep. but in the sneaker spotlight they had every single one of them sign the cards so they're ready in there so if you were lucky enough to get a Luka Doncic sneaker spotlight like we were it was already in the pack you didn't have to wait about waiting for it. If he's even going to sign the cards, none of that worry comes into it. That's another thing too that I'm going to touch on shortly yeah. about the downfall of the the hobby boxes and getting some of these uh, getting some of these big cards. But going back to it, Sammy, it's very much and for those that are listening, your hobby boxes when you're going up to the per pack, you're starting to get hits that are numbered, that are RPA rookie patch autos and patch autos and on card autographs or even sticker card autographs that are where the collectible market is. Yeah. They're the types of cards that will have a significant value and they will have your, depending upon the player and how lucky you are, yeah. your big swings in the market. So as a collector and as the people that are buying, these are the ones that sell the most frequently and the most often. Yes. So it's the most traded assets. These other retail cards are not traded. Not at all. Yeah. Mm. I, 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 as a graphic designer myself, I know I very much look at the cards and then what they look like. So obviously the different levels and the, mm -hmm. the different things that you're looking at but what do you think of the work that tyson beck's doing with uh basketball and not just basketball cards but he's doing you know graphics for all sorts of different cards do you think there's value in collecting those because visually uh, you know that, well, those cards look amazing and obviously on his website they're selling out very quickly have you ever have you invested in any of those or seen those cards in the market i'm gonna let jackson take this because he's <laughs> fresh off a tyson beck purchase um i've met tyson a couple of times we spoke at the last card show in adelaide on march 19th um huge fan he knows that i've talked to him many times before sponsor plug yeah his um his most recent one was with hasbulla do you know hasbulla yep. he did hasbulla and uh khabib Nogam Nurmagomedov, or however you say it. Nurmagomedov. Nice. <laughs> um, I love Hasbulla, right? He's just this funny guy. And I said to Tyson, have you got any left? And he did in his bag. Luckily, nice man, gave me a nice price. His, he, it has imploded since. So he was the first. He, on the back of it, yeah. Yeah. He, um, he was the first <laughs> ever um, one to do a Hasbulla card. Mm -hmm. And then Panini, about three weeks later, said, we're going to do a Hasbulla autograph. So they 100% have seen what Tyson's done and he's doing in that in that space in that space yeah in that space i love it he's had so many good athletes and they sell out for a reason you're never going to find that good of a looking card in anything that panini or fanatics does it's on the card he always meets them there's always a one of one they're super low numbered they look amazing funnily enough i did my research on the uh, hasbulla one after i bought it i didn't care what the price was i just wanted his on card autograph so on the back it says first ever hasbulla rookie card autograph Panini have gone out and said that it's his, like that's their official one. And Tyson's wasn't licensed, but it is. Um, so technically it is Tyson's and price of the resale proves it. So I bought the, um, Tyson gave me a good price and the resale on those Hasbulla cards. I've got the um, on-card rookie autograph number to 35 and the current resale on it's about $1.3,000. Just because it's on the card compared to if Panini won't have it, it'll be on a sticker. I've got a different take on Tyson Beck and what he does with athletes. I think what he does with athletes, because it's not officially licensed yeah. as part of the NBA or NFL or Absolutely. what it has, does have, does have doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't give him the justice that he is due for the amount of time and effort Absolutely. that he puts into his Spot designs. On. I think his designs, especially the one that he did with Curry, that has to be one of my favorites. Giannis is the one I liked a lot. He's, yep. he's done it with everybody. Yeah. Absolutely stunning cards. Now that's Panini's fault. and. To, to, to Tyson's credit, he works with Tops. 
He's done work with them on Project 22. Yep. He is a fantastic designer. I think with Fanatics, and we touched on this Fanatics before, with Fanatics now acquiring tops, I would love to see more licensed products by Tyson Beck and yep. incorporating different artists. I think the project initiative where they went to different artists and used them and created a lot of this was predominantly around the soccer cards yes, yes, yes. Awesome. Um, is a great idea. I'm yeah. surprised Panini haven't done it. And if they have, we don't know about it, so they mustn't have done it very well. Look, I think that the, half the reason why Panini has lost the contract rights and been bought out is because of their lack of effort with stuff like that. They never did it. Heaps of redemptions. They're never on the front foot of anything. If you go to their website, it's, it's a mess. Everything you have to do is a mess. Um, I think that's half the reason why they have been brought out. And um, going back to what Tyson does, I think that that's something he would want to do as well. I think that finally being, I think the only knock anyone ever has on him is that it's not a licensed NBA product. Mm. As well as he gets the athletes, it's licensed by the athletes, everything like that. It doesn't have the same feel as getting a, an autograph in a pack. Yeah. That brings its positives and its negatives. But I agree. Yeah. If they had a Tyson Beck, like they did with Project 22, yeah. a Tyson Beck licensed card with the athletes on card signature and that licensed series was a run like most hobby cards yep. are, a run of, you know, out of 35 put or out of box. 49 or whatever, put it in a box. Or, you know, put it in a box. Yeah, who knows? That would be an amazing addition to a series. That'd be wild. Those so, cards just popping up in packs. Yeah, like I think the bet, the closest you could get to that with what Penny's done is photogenic. I loved that set. Yep. And what all they did with photogenic, and that's why the resale on it's so expensive, is because they took the time and effort to pick nice photos, make them nice cards, everything along those lines, and that's why the, they're they're at triple on the resale price now. We how many do we have? How many boxes of photogenic do we have? We had heaps. And um, they've all just skyrocketed. The resale is probably about $900 a box yep. now. And just because they're nice. They, they did the right thing. They're absolutely beautiful cards. You know what it also says too, though, Jackson, in all fairness? We want something different. Photogenics was different. It, it was the, it was the first, first time. Yeah, it was the first time. It showed something completely different. It hit that nostalgic button with a lot of people that were collecting because it reminded them of the type of uh, photography that they had in yeah. cards in the 90s. It brought a different feel to them. Absolutely. A lot of them were action shots and then playing in and around other players mm -hmm. in the cards that hadn't been seen before. No. They were decent stock. Yep. So they were the thicker cards yeah, 75 point, as yeah. well, the 75 point, which made them look beautiful. You know, it was just a different – it was different. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. It was something different. And I think that – listen, Photogenics, in all fairness, it was a beautiful set. Did it absolutely blow my mind? No. Did it blow everyone's mind? No, but it was it was because it was different and they tried to do something that people appreciated it and they got behind it. Spot on. That's, that's, that's what I think exactly it was. That's exactly how I would put it as well. That, they needed to do something different, I think. I think that's where it came from. They haven't. They tend to release products here and there that are new, but it's it all falls into the same category really. Yeah. So going back to what Sam was saying and, and I think to answer it properly would be I think with the addition of Tops coming into Fanatics, yeah. Fanatics coming into the landscape, knowing that Tops as a franchise not only works with sports cars but with other franchises like Star Wars yeah. opens up the gates for so many more possibilities for artists like Tyson Beck. Yeah. And moving forward, I would absolutely love to see what is on the horizon. Um, speaking on that fanatics thing again, I'm not sure how it will fall into from a licensing perspective but I think it will be the first time again that we can see Michael Jordan signing cards, LeBron signing cards, things like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to hold out hope on Michael Jordan. He's still uh, – sorry, not Michael Jordan. Um, LeBron James, he is still signed to Upper Deck. Yeah. 
they I know that Fanatics tried to acquire and purchase uh, Upper Decks. They're trying again. Yes. They probably will. I mean, you have to understand that, you know, LeBron James as an athlete demands an extra billion dollars to whatever franchise he's attached to. And so he should. I want to go back and and continue on our conversation between retail and hobby because it is, you know, it, it does become one of these conversations we have all the time at the shop with customers, Jackson, and it can be quite convoluted and hard for customers to understand. Yeah. You know, even Sam chiming in when he is needing that clarity because it is hard. I mean, at the end of the day, we've talked about the different boxes. We've talked about the different ranges. We've talked about the packs. The best advice that I can give anyone that wants to delve any further into it is there are so many good content creators and people out there that will break it down better than what we can probably articulate and show you with visual cues that we can't do on a recording. Absolutely. That I would recommend that you check out. Sports Card Investor yeah. is, a, is, is, a, is a great one. There's plenty like him as well. Watch unboxings. Watch the products. 100%. Ideally, what you're going to find in this market too is that people, you know, like people doing everything, what they collect or they ingest, is they have preferences. Some people love the court kings feel, that more urban, hip, yep. street graffiti. Some people just love prism. They won't shy away. Some people, no, nah, I'm select all the way. And for their own reasons, because of their inserts or their series. Some people, I'm not going to bother with that. I'm only going to focus on sort of immaculates up to up to your flawlesses. Yeah. Which, to be honest, depending upon the athlete that you're looking for, everything has a price point. We have cards in our store from National Treasures, from Eminence, from Immaculate, from Flawless everything. that are under $100. You know, it doesn't, just because they're coming from these hobby packs, it doesn't mean they're priced out of your market. And that brings me to another point that I was uh, that I was really wanting to touch on with you, Jackson, because you, you've got an astute eye and you've done very well with monetizing this. Sometimes, I mean, everyone loves the thrill of the chase and there's nothing better than opening a hobby box. Nothing. There's not, no. <laughs> no. But there comes a time where to be financially responsible in this hobby, oftentimes you are better buying singles than you are boxes. I'd say all the time. <laughs> if you're looking from a... Um just a pure investment perspective. If you open one box and get an amazing card across your lifetime, you, get, you might open nine more, right? And across the 10, you're, you're probably still down. Whereas if you buy the 10 cards of a play, you're really like, rather than chasing it, just buy it. It might cost more than the box does, but the chance of getting a card better than that, extremely, extremely high as we found out the hard way. Yeah. It's, especially in this hobby, there's nothing more fun than opening a box because you don't know what you're going to get. It's, it's completely mystery. Like there's a box of Revolution over there, right? Revolution, not known as the best product. There could no. be a one of one bench here and there. It still sells for 10 grand. Correct. But it is a gamble. That's what it is at the end of the day. You're just Absolutely. having a punt. Yep. That's what it is. You're having a punt. And we talked about how expensive these boxes are becoming. The cards are becoming expensive as well, especially once you get to the, the, higher, end. the higher end of the cards. You touched on this before. We obviously have to revisit it because – and Fanatics is right. It is the most accessible way into the hobby at the price point that the hobby is currently at. There is a reason why box breaks are so popular. Yeah. I've always been one for breaks as soon as I found out about them. It's just, especially if you're just collecting a team or one person, it's so much better um, from an entry standpoint or an anything standpoint just to buy the team. So Jackson, talk to, talk to everyone and for Sam's sake as well. Yeah. What is a box break? 
So a box break, um, whether it's random teams or you pick your own team, you pay for a fraction of the box. So let's say it's a random random team you're paying for. So it might be, uh, let's say we're breaking $3,000 worth of product all up. So it might be, let's say we're doing six different $500 boxes. So we put it all together. We do it here. There's no... and the, But the reason why we do box breaks is because they are booming in popularity. Yep. Booming in popularity once again. Going back to that price point, it is so hard for someone to come in here and drop five or $600 on one pack of cards. Absolutely. So um, the way a box break works is say we're breaking the $3,000 worth of product and you just want to have some fun and you're just going to say, all right, I'm going to buy a spot. So um, the total amount that the boxes cost is divided by 30 because that's how many teams are in the NBA. Yep. And then you do um, some randomizing. So you randomize on a wheel what team you get. And that's how the majority of the box breakers do it out there too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, most of the American ones do it in NFL divisions because it's easier. They have to spell eight spots and you get four NFL teams and four NBA teams. So they can do a mixer of things. Okay. In Australia, it's a lot harder obviously because even I don't know the NFL divisions off by heart and I don't think oh, not even 1% would. Yeah. Um, so the random teams is definitely the way to do it because it's just everyone that wants to have a pun. If you get lucky, you might get the best team. If, but you do have yeah. the option on most breaks. We don't do it. We we keep ours random so yeah. that everyone gets a fair crack. Yeah. But oftentimes box breaks go one of two ways. It'll be random teams assigned to your spot. Yeah. Or it'll be you can buy your own team. Absolutely. And generally what will happen is the teams with the highest performing individuals or the best rookies of the year or for whatever year that they're breaking out of those boxes – those prices will be the highest. Yeah, absolutely. And the other teams will sort of follow. Yeah, they kind of fan out um, from the top to the – so it's like stepping stairs. Yeah. It's like stairs. So obviously at the top uh, this year you're going to have the Magic. Yep. And the Thunder will be second between Jalen Williams and uh, Chet Holmgren and then you'll probably go along the ranks of uh, the Rockets and stuff like that and it just sort of gets cheaper and cheaper. And for the year before's product you had obviously Detroit Pistons with Kay Cunningham, Raptors. Raptors with Scotty Barnes, Cavs with Evan Mobley. Thunder – Oh, everybody along those lines. There was that that rookie class. I think will be great. Obviously, there's no superstar straight away, but the magic. You still had Wagner and Suds, Barnes with the Raptors, Matt Mobley with the Cavs, Giddy the Thunder, Giddy with the Thunder. Trey Man was even on the Thunder. Yep, Barnes. Oh, I said Barnes. Cade Cunningham. <laughs> that uh, that draft class was uh, very value. Had a good lots of value in it because you could probably buy the Thunder at the start of the year, and they were the, probably the sixth best team, and they'd. Put, you could, they weren't anywhere near the most expensive. It was a really, really good draft full of guards. Yeah, and, ball, ball and dominant players. Ball yeah. dominant players. And even the year before that was huge. Obviously, you had uh, Lamelo Ball, Anthony yeah, Edwards, Tyrese Maxey. James Wiseman. James Wiseman was Halliburton was that draft Halle class. Halliburton. Yeah, that was a loaded draft year. Yeah, I think that um, the draft class sort of depend the hype around the whole hobby. Uh, as I've spoken before, uh, Victor Wembanyama will bring a lot, a lot, I think. Um, that's why so many NBA teams want him. He'll instantly add $500 million worth of capital to that team. doesn't matter who it goes to and his cards will be stupidly expensive because he's a unicorn. There will never be anybody else like him. Being seven foot five and like a walking highlight reel, he's been labelled a better prospect than Zion uh, and LeBron, which I think is... Um, amazing and i can't wait to see what he brings and as well as that'll be the same year fanatics take over so i think we'll see a whole revamp and the whole space will be completely different you know they called greg odin a unicorn too at one point <sighs> that's the problem <laughs> and that's the uh, that's the reality um I've, I've talked about this comparison before to customers zion was a massive huge like 
in terms of the cards up to date, probably the most like sought after card is a Zion Williamson rookie card in mm-hmm. 2020. Um, Even his collegiate cards were doing oh, stupid it, numbers. It was, it's, it was insane, right? And then you get to the point of there's Ja Morant, number two. So overshadowed. If you didn't get a Zion Williamson card and you got a Ja Morant card, you're still like, oh, I didn't get a Zion, Zion card. card. Isn't I that crazy? It, it's insane. And now Ja won rookie of the year. Zion didn't play half the year. Zion, Zion's cards have never fully recovered and I don't think ever will to what they were. And Ja Morant's slowly... Um, just been proving himself he's a very exciting player and I think you'll see the same thing happen if albeit Victor Wanyama does get injured or something like that if it does happen uh, the number two pick in the draft class his name will be Scoot Henderson I am extremely high on him he's like he's like a jump rant all over again but he shoots the ball better yep I think you'll see the same thing of everybody walking through the door going Victor Wanyama's got cards I want one because he's just going to be this absolute freak if he if he does his knee something along those lines you'll be like oh Zion all over again and Scoot Henderson, he could get injured too. Don't get me wrong. But the lack of firearms helps him though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think that the ones that go under the radar are the, the picks I like the most personally from what I've experienced in, in the hobby. And um, I think that's the best way that there is to um, do yourself a favour. But that comes with doing your own research too. Oh, I mean, 100%. you were – you know, you were a big Alperin Shengun fanboy. Still am. Still, yeah, still I, are. I, absolutely. I was saying Alperin Shengun is going to be something good. No one even knew what his name was. Um, oh, I want to say about a, about a year ago. Yeah, that'd be about right. Um, we had oh, we've had countless of his cards come through the door. I reckon I bought every single one of them at one point. Um, I and sold them back to me at a profit every time. Uh, yeah, I think um, <laughs> as you're going on from what you were saying, I think that the best way to sell my cards. Albeit for the massive purchases, eBay is number one, but selling them to other hobby shops, if you're getting a good price, is so much more. Um, if you're still winning, I personally would just say just go sell it to a store. Yeah. Obviously, they're not going to give you uh, the comp of the card, what it's worth, but neither is eBay. You might lose another 10% extra. If, you're, if it's a good card, I don't think there's any problem with a hobby store paying 70% of the comp. I mean, once you think about it, eBay's going to take eBay's going to garble up twenty percent of your fees. Absolutely, and then you've got to worry about shipping, then filing a complaint, bad review. It's just so much of a headache. Where I'd rather just say, "All right, I bought the car for a hundred bucks. I can sell it right now for one hundred and twenty, rather than paying someone paying one hundred and thirty on eBay, mm-hmm. or they even pay one hundred and fifty. I'm going to lose the tax anyway. I'm going to lose twenty percent. What's the point? I might as well just try to cash out on the card, still at a positive, yeah, and not have to worry about any of the uh, headaches that come with it. Absolutely, you were making more than twenty dollars a card on me. Uh, <laughs> uh, for the right no, you, players, yeah, yeah, you, you did, you did really well, and I think that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, you, you have a couple of free platforms that you can use to sell your cards, like uh, Facebook Marketplace, yeah. Gumtree. Obviously, none of them are even close to the level of eBay. No, if you're able to get yourself on eBay, you are going to lose, you know, between twenty and fifteen percent yeah. uh, on your fees, plus your postage and whatever other problems may come out, you know, scams and what have you. If you have an extremely valuable card, you're really sort of forced to go down the option of either a hobby card store or an auction house. Yeah. If you're going to an auction house, there's 30% minimum. Yes. And a lot of people don't realize that. I so, know. They don't. No. So when you're factoring all of that in and you're gaining on these cards that you're buying, be aware of the current comps and stay with the current comps. When Sorry, when we're saying comps, Comp refers to comparative prices. Absolutely. Comparative prices in the market. 
Yeah. Ideally, what you want to find is what have the cards sold for most recently. Yes. And that is the best indication of what people are prepared to pay for them. So there are there are a few resources out there. There's a lot more out there for TCGs than there are 100%. for sports cards. Primarily, we use, and I think a lot of people use 130 point. That's yeah. 130point.com. All that is is essentially a database of eBay sold prices chronologically so you can see the, the most recent comp for that particular card and it also gathers some data from other websites such as Slabbed, PWCC, Goldens and a few others. Yeah. It probably still stands to be the best indicator Yeah, of it, what cards go um, for. Yeah. It, it definitely is, although it is mostly in USD prices because that's where the cards sell. Of course. Um, I think one thing we haven't touched on yet, and it's good that you brought it up, is a comp is a sold price. There's been many people that get it confused of. They just yes. go on eBay and search it up, and it's, someone's got it listed for $5,000. That's what someone's got it listed for, not what someone's actually willing to pay for it. So someone could have a base card. I could have an empty water bottle and say, I want $5,000 for it. Everyone's just going to think you're crazy, whereas people like to get them kind of confused at times um, and say that, well, someone's got it listed for five grand. It actually doesn't mean anything. Yeah, exactly right. Something's only worth as much as someone's willing to pay for it. 100%. And the same is very true with cards. So it needs to be based on that. One thing that if you use eBay as a resource and just click the sold listings as a, uh, as a filter to filter through results, what will happen oftentimes is that, especially in the card market, is that an offer will be made on a card and accepted. eBay as an app will not show you what that accepted offer is. 100% they don't, yeah. You're but right. 130 point will. Yes. So that's why I prefer to use resources like 130 for the most accurate representation of what that card's worth. Yes, uh, perfectly said. Um, I think that it's, it's an Australian guy. Um, who made 130 point. I think yeah, he, right. uh, he's Melbourne based now. He's from Sydney, um, something along. I might have it confused uh, the other way around, but yeah, he uh, had an amazing idea. I think that um, comping cards is one of the thing, the first things that I learned personally. Um, and it was where I was like, wow. The, in, and when you say comping, I think that that is the best way to make money in sports cards because it doesn't matter. I'm an advocate for of, if it's a good deal at a good price below the comp, you can buy anything because there's always going to be a buyer. doesn't matter what it is. If you're getting it at half of what the comps are, you can sell it for more than what the half of the comps are. It doesn't matter if it's just some random guy you've never heard of's autograph and it sells for 20 bucks. If you get it for $10, $5, $10, someone doesn't know the comps of it, you can sell it. It doesn't matter who, like who it is. It doesn't matter what sort of card, if it's numbered, not numbered. If the comp is more than double what you're going to pay, You'd be silly not to buy the card. Absolutely. That's a very good point. Using comps goes both ways. Not only selling your cards, but a really good way to identify what good deals are out there when you're buying cards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I want to go back because I think we veered off. We we're talking box breaks for a second. Yes. And then we ended up here. But that's, it, it's, all, it's all good. It's all good informative stuff. Going back to box breaks and how accessible they are for everyone. Now you can generally find a box break uh, and there are a lot of large breakers out there that will do multiple breaks every given night or scheduled uh, week, uh, weekdays during the, the week where you can get in for really any price point. 
it, they can go for as little as $30 a spot and they can go upwards of thousands of dollars oh, a spot yeah. just depending upon the products that they're breaking. Um, one other thing that we don't do uh, yet is a mini. Okay. A mini for a break. So um, sometimes if a breaker is struggling to sell the last couple of spots, they'll offer up a mini. So what that is is it's pretty much a break of a break. Um, so they'll divvy up the uh, cost of the break spot, which might be, let's say, 60 bucks. They'll do six spots at $10 each, and the winner of that six will get that spot that's worth $60 for $10. Yeah, right. Um, we haven't done it before. I don't think we've needed to. Um, it's a whole different realm. You've got to do at least two minis usually if you're going to do them or bother to do them at all. Um, yeah, I think that that's why the box break space is uh, fanatics are pushing it so much and so does really everyone at the moment because – there's always, always going to be one winner out of a break, if not th three or four. Are Fanatics pushing it though because they know that the price point that the market's at is about where it should be or that they're wanting to is, – is it them saying, no, listen, we want to keep box prices high. We're just going to push it to more breakers so that it's more accessible to more people yeah. and so that people understand – that box breaks are really the way to go. Yeah, I think that uh, they're definitely using the bre box breaks as like an entry entry point for the new uh, participants and new people looking to get into the hobby. I think that that's how they're going to keep it. Like you said, that second option there. Um, I think the box prices will stay roughly the same. I don't know how they'll look. If it'll be the same name, same sets, I'm honestly not sure. But yeah, they will use it um, as like an, uh, um, this is how to get started. Just buy into your first break. You get one random team out of the 30. You might hit massively, you might get nothing. I'm really hoping that they do revisit and, and maybe production, production costs, sorry, are more expensive. Manufacturing costs are more expensive than most people anticipate now, especially with the global, I guess the global landscape and what's going on in the world. Maybe these prices are here to stay. I hope it's not the case. I hope that Fanatics are able to do something a little bit different and bring more entry-level points, good quality products, even if they are single packs, yeah, various price points. If they don't, hopefully they do in the future. Yeah, once things settle. Going back to box breaks, why do you think they've become the go-to for most people ripping product? Because it's not just the price point. I mean, put the price point aside. It, it's it's a very very it's the biggest point, obviously. Yes, that price point, that entry point, that accessibility. What's so contagious and and fun about it is. The fact that all the community jumps into that chat, everyone's having a good time. Absolutely, there's banter going on. People want it, you know. It's almost like you've created this community, and people are just logging on. And yeah. it's the, oftentimes, it's the same people jumping in. Yeah, everyone's familiar with each other. Everyone's familiar with you. And then, yeah, don't get me wrong. If there's someone new that comes into the into the community, buys in their first break, everyone's super welcoming. Absolutely. But that's, you know, that's what it's about too. I think the good thing about the box break is you're also jumping in this community. So it's almost like, you know, by the end of it, it's like opening a box with your mates, isn't it? Absolutely. And watching someone do it like for you. Like some of the stories we've heard, people just live streaming it onto their TV, having everyone come over after playing such a basketball game just yep. to watch it. Just to watch it. Um, they everyone's bought everyone's in. Everyone's round. Yeah. Yep. Everyone, they even share the spot sometimes. Everyone paid 20 bucks to get into the $100 random thing and all five of them are watching got a fifth of the spot of the 30th of each correct just to, just to all be in it joining in together with your mates and yeah there's it it has a very very similar feel to um to opening the box but then again very different which is the thing that i think most uh, people like about it it's crazy too because if you go back to sort of when you know the COVID times when we were 
were taking in all those box breaks and watching all those box breaks and absolutely loving it, it was other people breaking product just for themselves. And yep. we found that so entertaining, so entertaining yep. to do. Now, you know, we're actually invested financially into that break. 100%. And this person's, you know, opening these packs and now we're hoping that we can get these hits from them, you know, and then things are going to go our way and we can get our team uh, or our player that we're really hoping for. Going back to when we're, I mean, ours are randomly generated to yes. give everyone a fair crack. And it's not to say that you can't buy multiple spots. There's a ton of people that buy multiple spots to yeah. give them the best chance of pulling the best teams. But there are a lot of breakers out there that will sell the teams. Yes. They, they, they even go down to the individual player sometimes. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on that? Do you prefer the randomization of it all or do you prefer having the control and buying the team that you um, want? Look, I think that comes from two different perspectives of if you're more of a safer investor type of person, then you just pick your team and buy it. You're locked in, it's safe. You might not get anything, but it's a safer option than, than just going random. But then again, random has a certain gamble to it because you don't know what you're going to get, right? It's like buying the box, but obviously it's a lot cheaper. You might end up with the best team or you might end up with something like the Clippers. Like they haven't had a good rookie in ages, but there is still a possibility that something cracking comes out. It's but, just so funny because out of the times that I've watched the breaks and participated in breaks and yeah. held done even the breaks ourselves just live on on, on the couch with, a, with yep. a couple of customers, it always seems to be though the case that it's those random teams that generate some of the best cards. Oh, it's insane. Like that one I had with the Kings. Yeah. And I had Detroit. And I had Raptors. This was from Cade's year. I had Detroit. I had Raptors. I had a pretty good lineup of teams and every single hit out of all of those boxes we opened went Jackson's way with the Kings. Which is insanely lucky. Yeah. Um, I think that there is always some random winners with the breaks. Like there's, there's, you're opening $3,000 worth of product. There's always 99.9% of the time there's going to be a few cards worth more than 100 bucks, which is more than what they pay for the spot. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, sometimes there's these super obscure teams that you'll never, would never think like the heat comes up sometimes where two Dwayne Wade autographs go to the same guy in one break. Yeah. Which is just unheard of, but it happened. And then someone who might've gone, oh my God, I've got the thunder. I've got the magic. I've got like the jazz with Walker Kessler. They've the gone, Mavs. Yeah. Oh, Grizzlies, Jar, Curry yeah. with the Warriors. They've gone, I've got so many chances here to hit a big card. And unfortunately, it just doesn't come. Yeah, it is, it is the way that sometimes that it goes. My piece of advice with breaks is much the same with basketball cards in general. It's always quality over quantity. Yeah, 100%. Get in for a good deal. Do your research on the boxes that are actually being broken. There are breakers out there that I've had customers come and say, listen, I've, I've gone into these breaks and these are the cards that I've had and they've been predominantly retail-based breaks or blaster blaster based breaks yeah blasters for those of you that don't know a blaster box is like a retail box is instead of buying a hobby box you're buying a retail box so it's a, a little mini box that usually comes with about six to eight packs in it and it's just like it's a very good entry point product box wise rather than just buying a couple of packs so they usually range from about 50 to 70 bucks um the ones we've got at the moment are 60 and the donruss ones and it's just a good way to get started you get a lot of cards, a lot of packs. You get the rookie cards, stuff like that. But um, again, it's just a lot of quantity of cards. It is one level above just going purely retail packs because oftentimes there are blaster exclusive yeah, parallels absolutely. or 
blaster exclusive you inserts. you get a memorabilia insert. Correct. Like They've got a higher chance of pulling autos and more hobby or numbered uh, hobby cards out of them. However, when you're entering into breaks, my advice would be always quality over quantity. If they are opening $3,000 worth of product, $5,000 worth of product, whatever it is, make sure that it's good product that sells, that is popular and that is not on just the retail level. Uh, yeah, 100%, uh, 100% agree. Because you can be in some of these breaks and they can feel like they are breaking for an hour, which sometimes they are yeah. because they're getting through that many blasters or that many retail box, hopefully, you know, hoping to get a case hit and a case hit meaning boxes come in cases. Yes. Oftentimes they will have what are considered case hits and opening up a case ensures that you get one of those case hits. Some of those case hits can be incredibly short print run, exclusive to the set inserts. Some of them can be incredibly low numbered cards or a signature series. Yeah. Yeah, 100% best way to put it. You know, so, but opening retail cases, blaster cases, I would really advise looking into hobby breaks that primarily focus on hobby products if you're looking to get into the market at that point. Yeah, especially when you're talking about the market at that point. If they've got retail boxes involved in a break, you might as well just buy the retail box yourself. There's no point. Um, whereas a hobby, it is a completely different ball game. As, long, as well as what you've talked about, I think that there's a lot of room for the, break, uh, the breaking space still to grow. There's people that break three, four times a day there's people in the US that break for eight hours straight and they just fill up I fill up a whole break within 30 seconds and it's a thousand dollars a spot and they just break and break and break and break. I think the main thing that breakers either do or don't do is they give back. Okay, yep, good point. I think that um, some of the American breakers, um, what they do very well is they look after the ones that don't get anything. If they're paying a thousand dollars a spot and you're doing say eight thousand dollars worth of product in that break, right? more than likely going to be one of the eight spots that get absolutely nothing. They might give them a free $300 box. It doesn't cover, but it's so much, a little goes a long way. Absolutely. I think that, um, yeah, it's kind of put, it's kind of hard to put into words. But. No, I do. I, I think at the end of the day, you want to try to eliminate as much. And listen, at the end of the day, when we're talking opening packs, and this is the same case, whether it's Pokemon or another TCG, NBA, and anything in between, it is as close to gambling as you can possibly get. It is that fine line that people have to accept. Every time you're opening packs, you are taking a gamble. Nothing is ever guaranteed and you are not entitled to anything because you're opening that pack. Um, yeah. So when people are breaking, you are gambling because you are still opening packs, hoping for your team or whatever spot you've landed on. Yeah. And I think what you're trying to what you're trying to put on Jackson is nobody likes a loser and you sort of feel bad for someone that has come in and spent a lot of money and supported that break and really got nothing out of it. Yeah. So chucking in those little extras and whatnot to keep them motivated and to understand that, you know, yeah, you, you did have some bad luck, but it's okay. You, you, you'll make it back. Yeah. You're not, it's not like you're walking out of the casino with, you know, with an empty wallet, Yeah. Intense. you know, and Whereas, that's, and that's yeah. sometimes the way that you can feel uh, even, even with the hobby boxes that we've, open Jackson, you know, you, sometimes you look at it and go, wow, there is nothing here. Yeah. Like there is really nothing of value here. And someone that's not in our position that would have spent a thousand dollars on that box to come away with little to nothing. It's disheartening and 
it's probably a very easy way for that person to nope out of their hobby altogether. A hundred percent. I think um, what you were talking about with like just giving them a little bit extra, I think that letting them know that like they value you is also extremely important. I think that's something that we do extremely, extremely well. Don't get me wrong, but um, I think that if you're spending a thousand dollars at one place, you want to be felt valued. There's nothing worse than going, then you say, All right, I'm going to buy a thousand dollar box of NBA Prism and I'm going to open it here. If no one sits around and watches them, talks them through what they, if they don't know, maybe they know everything about it. If you're not there with them just for that experience, if they pull something good, they want to celebrate, high five, something as little as that. I think that if you just let them sit in the corner and open it by themselves and they get nothing, they're just kind of looking around like, well, now what do I do? I just get to walk out the door all sad. Yeah, and you know what? On that side too, Jackson, you bring up a valid point because I've been in this position before where I've been opening up those types of boxes and the people around me have just been like, oh, man, you got nothing or, wow, that was all crap or, oh, tough luck. No, it's not necessarily true. One thing that we do well here, when you're opening up these big boxes, yeah, you want the big hits and you want the great autos and you want those cards that are worth five, six, ten thousand dollars $10,000. But don't forget, like, along the way, those widescreen rookies, those, you know, those hollow yeah. – yeah, those hollow cards or low-numbered cards or good base rookie cards of good players. I mean, you got to celebrate those wins as well. That's a good card. Exactly. All those little things add up. Absolutely. And education, I, I, will, I will remain a staunch advocate for, education around the hobby and around the experience is the most important thing because, okay, you didn't get that $10,000 card, but you got a lot of good little cards. Mm -hmm. I think that's the one thing that I, when I started out was the thing I learned the best is I was just buying cards for a dollar out of a dollar bin, selling them for five on eBay, paying a dollar for the envelope, knowing I'm paying a dollar for the envelope and I've got to pay for the stamps. It's costing me $3, but I'm getting five every time. Yeah. And it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And then you end up going, I can buy a $100 card here, sell it for 250 to this guy. And then you can go, oh, this card comps at about 500 bucks and he's selling it for 350. I wonder if I can get it for 300. And there's also that side of bartering that we haven't talked about yet that, um, that any place knows that when no matter if they sell it online, um, they're not going to get the full comp for the card. If you sell it online, they're going to get at the max probably 75%, 80%. If they're selling it at the same time, yeah, absolutely. Yep. If nothing's changed with that particular athlete or that particular card, sorry, yeah, yeah you're exactly right. And, and bartering, yep. and I'll always engage with it, absolutely. I think we do that really well here. Yep. I think that don't be shy whether you go to a card, uh, a card expo a card sale, a card store, whatever it is, if you can get that card for a little bit cheaper than what it's advertised at, absolutely go for it. 100%. Absolutely go for it. Just be prepared that some people are willing to negotiate and some people aren't. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you need to respect that boundary. Yeah, yeah, 100%. If you came into Mayhem and you want to speak to me about cards and bartering, I'm all for it. Maybe Joe Blow down the road won't be for it. Maybe the person online that you're speaking to won't be for it. Don't let it dissuade you. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with what you're saying. If you can get it cheaper, Why absolutely, <laughs> go for it. I'm going to ask you the question now, and I think we've touched on it enough. Hopefully people have got a good idea on the difference between retail and hobby, why breaks are becoming so popular or are so popular, why they probably will continue to be as popular as they are in the future, if not more so, especially with fanatics saying what, they, what, what, what you've said they've said, Jackson. I want to wrap this little segment up before we move on to something else and ask you the question that everyone asks. 
what makes a card good and what makes a card valuable? Um, I think the simplest way to put it, if you're looking for it in, in plain black writing, is the more expensive the box is, the more expensive the card's going to be, no matter what card it is. Other things that make a card valuable um, that I like to look for, some people don't realise is, does it ha- is it a rookie card? That's the number one. The only, any player that's going well, the thing that sees the biggest increase in price without a shadow of a doubt is the rookie cards. And why is that, Jackson? Uh, it's their first card they've ever had. The RC symbol is easily the most recognisable symbol. And I think that if anyone's trying to buy a card of one player, they're looking for their first ones of when they were young. And that's just kind of been a staple. You're only a rookie for one year. They've exactly, only ever got mate. one year of a rookie card and that's it. And they will, for as long as they're in the league, always have cards after that. But it'll yes. never be a rookie card. And it'll never matter after, after the rookie year. Well, having said that, when you say it never matters, what about if I was to get a player that, let's say Steph Curry, for example. If I was to get a Steph Curry prism numbered out of 49. It's still Does valuable. that matter? Yeah, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Um, as well as it being a rookie card, the ro- obviously, I think that the I missed that. Um, the most important thing about if a card is valuable or not is it kind of falls under three categories. Is, uh, is he good with the media? Is he a good player? How old is he? Oh, is he on a good team? Is his team going well? Is he good with fans? It all fa- it falls under so many categories that you kind of have to look at. I think the main one is, oh, is he good at basketball? Highlights. The kids look up to him. Is he good with them? Does he sell jerseys? Exactly. The other, the other thing whilst you're saying that too and what I've found, and, and I know that you're going to agree with me on this, there's a lot of hearth in the idea that everyone roots for David and not Goliath. Yes. Everyone loves Steph Curry, not only because he is an amazing athlete, he's changed the game. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but kids can emulate him. People can emulate him. People can pretend to shoot the three-point from half court and do the things that he's doing. You can't pretend to be seven foot. You can't pretend to be Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, you, you say this better than everybody about that sort of stuff. Yeah, like if you look at Nikola Jokic's prices yeah. compared to someone like Jamran, who's a lot, I'm not going to say worse. Um, obviously, he's a worse player, but he's not worse in terms of he does. He's so not much. a bad player. No, he's not just not as good as Jokic. Yeah, absolutely. But um, Jazz on more highlights. He dunks the ball. Yeah. Um, he's only six foot three. A lot of people look at him and go, "Wow." Albeit a, a slip up not too long ago, he has been very good with. He's always good with kids, fans, very media, dancers, all that sort of stuff. And Jokic, for him not to be the most expensive basketball card. In terms of player-wise, is I think he's extremely undervalued, but he's always going to be that way just because he's a giant compared to whereas uh, you said it very well as I can't look at Nikola Jokic and be like, I want to play like him. You can you can try and emulate the moves that he does to an extent, but you can't do what he does because you're not six foot ten, you're not six foot eleven. If you are six foot eleven, good for you, but if you're six foot eleven, you want to be like, I want to dunk the ball like John Morant does mm-hmm. rather than what Jokic does. And I think that. Um, more important than how like good they are in terms of MVP rankings is if it, if they're exciting to watch, um, and if they're like as simple as just being on an, on the NBA's YouTube channel, it's going to go to so many kids' recommended page, and they look at it and be like, "Wow, he does some cool stuff, flashy, like dancing. He's popular on Instagram, posts the right stuff, all that sort of stuff falls into the category much more than what playing skill does, which to an extent is wrong." 
But like you said, you can't emulate being seven foot. Whereas like Stephen Curry, you can just play like he does. Yeah, if you look at the if you look at the cards that hold the most value, uh, or at the highest price, they are all mainly guards. Yes. Or of that era, I mean, your Steph Curry, your Ja Morant, your uh, Luka Doncic, they play that type of basketball that you want to emulate on a basketball court or social basketball Absolutely. or when you're at the playground. You know, and another player that had a spectacular season whose cards do nothing, Joel Embiid. Absolutely. Once again, the, these players that are tall, I mean, Jana sort of falls just outside that category, but it, but at the same time is in that category, if you know what I mean. Oddly, sort of, yes. Yeah. Jarnas Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, these are players that unfortunately don't sell as many jerseys as your Steph Currys and your Jar Morants. And the reason why we're saying this is because the card prices of these players, once again, I don't really like using Jarnas because he sort of falls outside of that, uh, has a huge amount of popularity, I think, not only because of what he does on the court but what he does off the court as well. Yeah. He just seems like a genuine person and people rally behind him. And one player that, you know, is the complete opposite that everyone loves emulating and sell, well, did sell at one point a huge amount of jerseys, Kevin Durant, very polarizing figure, same as Kyrie Irving, very polarizing figure, amazing athlete and player. But what they do off the court and their antics and, well, what Kevin Durant does on the court as well, with, you know, changing teams all the time yeah. and always portrayed as sort of the villain in the media significantly impacts his card prices as well. 100%. I think you've got the best two examples there. Like we put a, I pulled a one of one Kyrie Irving, albeit it's still a bit expensive. It sits at $450. On the last but for time. a one of one, not that expensive. No, especially for Kyrie Irving, black, color match, all that stuff. It's because he could retire tomorrow. Is very unpredictable. I think that's why people are scared to kind of take a big dive on his cards because they're like, he could do what he did a year ago and just say, nah. I'm out. I'm not playing. If I'm, I'm not going to get vaccinated, I'm not playing. I'll see you when they lift the mandate. Sometimes when players switch teams, it's honestly the best thing for their career. They go to a franchise that is such a larger franchise than what they were currently in and their stocks skyrocket. Case in point, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Um, honestly, um, speaking of Donovan Mitchell, I've never been the biggest fan of his cards. Um, now more so than ever, yes, because – he was at such a low market team, and you, they won. They were the one seed two years in a row. Mm -hmm. they, him and Gobert, but they're just not that collectible because no one wants to. No, I've never seen someone walking around in a Utah Jazz jersey. Not unless it's an old Stockton, no, or Malone, something yeah. along that line. Uh, just because it's so hard to be like, oh, like it's just one of those teams that unfortunately falls out the category of kids like it. Correct. It's not a popular franchise. You look at the other side of things. Tyrese Halliburton was one of the best draft. Um, uh, prospects, uh, rookie prospects, sorry, from that draft year. When they traded him from the Kings to the Pacers, his card prices, his performance on the court was continuing to go up. Absolutely. His card prices, however, went the other way. Yes. I think that um, people were kind of scared because he was in a better role at Sacramento, although he's ex performing extremely well uh, in the Indiana. bigger franchise, capital of California, yeah. a lot of eyes on you. Um, yeah, I think that. Um, my my favorite example to use this year, and I, I didn't jump on the boat, and I wish I did, was Jalen Brunson. Yeah, he has um, New York. New York is. I've been to the Knicks. I've been to Madison Square Garden when they sucked. They their starting point guard was Ron Baker in the game I went to. It was yep. still filled. It was still absolutely packed. packed. And they lost by like forty points. Yep. Not. I don't reckon I saw 
maybe 10 people leave my section to go home early. But he's gone to the biggest market team in the NBA. He's done the right thing. He's getting paid a lot, yes. But I think that I, did, I didn't see this, but going to such a better marketed team, which albeit the Mavericks to the Knicks is kind of sideways last year. The Mavericks went to the conference finals, but obviously losing him and the Knicks gaining him. It's about the same strength. So I should have seen the increase in price that was coming just because he was always going to perform well and especially come playoff time, it makes such a difference when he's about to beat the four-seater Cavaliers that people were tipping to go almost to the conference finals. Correct. So going back to the example that I was using with Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving, the other thing that affects the card values is when players move around franchises so much and so often, it's really hard to want to get them as a card in the franchise that they're no longer in yeah. or they didn't really do much in. Yeah. For example, the latest cards show Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both in Nets jerseys. So yeah. your colour matches and everything. But unless you were a Brooklyn Nets fan, and even if you were, you probably weren't a fan of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving during that Absolutely Brooklyn time. Not. That's uh, the perfect example. So, you know, now Kevin Durant going to the Suns, you might be a Kevin Durant fan, but what team do you want him in? Do you want him in a Warriors jersey? Do you want him in an OKC jersey? Do you want him in a Nets jersey? Are you waiting for him in a Suns jersey? You're really wanting to, to be honest with you, the only Kevin Durant card that I would be interested in would be him in a in a Sonics jersey as a rookie. Yeah. And Kyrie Irving, I think most people would want him in a Cavs jersey yes. because of what he was able to accomplish there, solo without LeBron and then obviously winning the chip with LeBron. That affects the card prices too and what people see them in. So just be wary of that. Yes, 100%. Going back to what we were talking about with what makes a good card a good card and a good purchase, you mentioned before looking at the rookie cards. Obviously, rookie cards are always going to be the most valuable yes. yeah, card of that particular player that you're looking for or athlete, not only in basketball, but that's true with NFL and, and every other sort of sport. What else makes them valuable is, and Jackson touched on this, the sets that they're coming from. Yes. How popular is that set? Do people gel with that set? Do they like it? One of the sets that had a huge amount of popularity and people loved them, especially when they were on-card autos, were the Origin sets. Yes. And it feels like the print quality's just dropped in the last couple of years. Yeah, they've it just to like a uh, matte finish. Yeah, they've, they've opted for this different finish. Straight away, people weren't feeling it. All of a sudden, that set doesn't become as desirable. Nah, I think that um, along the lines of when people like a specific set although looks and things do play a massive part i think that um especially with some of the experiences i've had with customers people's favorite set are the ones that they've got been lucky with potluck yeah true they've just good gone point. i'm just going to pick this box never done it before and they get something lucky like, oh crap that one was good to me before yeah and that that's the first thing they remember in their head as well as what you were touching on before about how much a teams like someone changing teams can do for the card uh, someone else leaving that team can also do a lot of good things for the person that's still on the oh, team. Oh, absolutely. So my favorite example, again, to use is Shingun. So Christian Wood was on that team before yes. he got traded to the Mavericks. Um, and Shingun played about seven or eight minutes a game. Whilst he was there. Uh, yeah, Whilst Wood was. As, as a proper rookie. Yeah. Christian Wood got traded. It was in the off season. And I started looking. It was when the FIBA Euro games were on. And I started looking at Shingun being like, he passes the ball well. He can dunk the ball. He shoots it okay. Amazing footwork. Yeah. He's, his personal training in the offseason was Hakeem Olajuwon. You can't go wrong. And I thought for the, for the price you can buy some of his high, high-end cards at, that's what I thought. It was like, yeah, he's the guy. 
And from the day that I said that, pretty much all of I've bought and sold so many. I think annoyingly he's now at the point of people recognize his name. So you can't get him for cheap anymore. But it's at the point where it was like, yep, he's going to be the guy. I'm going to wait a year, see how he goes. He's now going to start on the team. His stats are going to see a huge bump. And he did all the right things um, to just warrant me to go, yeah, I think this is going to be uh, one of the good ones. Do your research. Look for numbered cards. Okay, so numbered cards are always going to be you're more valuable than your standard insert cards. When you look at numbered cards, there are other things that you want to consider. You mentioned before color match. So is the number, I'll use uh, Prism for example, Prism Blues are out of generally um, 125 one, or 199 in a year. Cracked is 125. 125. If you can get a blue with a color match of that team or that player um, in their team. Yeah, Luca and Jar are my best examples. There you go. Uh, Luca's fast break blue sells for about six grand, graded in a 10. Numbered? And, uh, yeah, the, uh, the blue one's numbered to 175, I think. Um, and the one to 149, I can't remember what color it is. It's probably worth about four and a half grand in a 10. So it's worth one and a half thousand US dollars less. But these are his rookie versions. Yes, obviously yeah. his rookie versions. They're worth less just because the color of the card is not the same as the color of the jersey. Even though that's a lower number. Even though there's less in circulation. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's insane to think about, but at the same time I get it because aesthetically it looks so much nicer. It does. It does. You want to go for your lower numbered cards or as low as possible within your price range. Yeah. You want to stick with cards that sell well and continue to sell well from brands or sorry. Uh, brands is the right brand word. Brands is the right word. The different subsects of cards you want to look for in terms of autos. Listen, sticker autos are fine. Just understand that sticker autos are never going to have the value of on-card autos. Yeah. Sometimes sticker autos is all you can get. Yeah. Because of the athlete, Mm -hmm. and and that's fine. But realistically, if you follow the same rules and look for lower-numbered cards from great boxes or great sets. Rookie cards, if possible, autographed cards. Now, autographed cards are a hit and miss because autographed cards can be great, but oftentimes to be valuable, they need a number attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that, yeah, I'm not a big fan of buying just uncirculated rookie card that are autographed because there's usually so many in circulation that they tend to go down price regardless of how he's performing. Um, in terms of autographs, I like to stick to on card just because they fetch a premium. Um, sticker cards, if if it's there, of course I'm going to buy it. Just if it's the right player, of course. I've, I've and some athletes only have sticker autographs. Yeah, absolutely. Like Jalen Williams only has one set of um, the Thunder rookie for the people that are listening still and Sam. Jalen Williams is the rookie on the Oklahoma City Thunder. He unfortunately has had two of his on card ones be in... Uh, redemption form and one be on the card and the rest of stickers. So that's what I'm stuck with for the moment in terms of collecting him. I hope everyone got enough out of that. I want to move to, I want to move to something that I know that you care about more than I do, but as Australians, we care about a lot is AFL cards. Please select on the off chance that you were listening to this podcast, up your game what you're doing in the space of AFL cards compared to what they can be is so far short of where it deserves to be, being that this is our national sport. 
Uh, yeah. So um, obviously I'm a big footballer. I've been playing football since I was four. Um, so this is my 15th year playing football. Always been a huge fan. Been a member of the Crows all my life. S- stuff like that. Um, I've always been, when I grew up, always did team coach. So team coach is the other brand of football cards that's sort of t- tailored towards kids. I yeah, still very, think very it. kid tailored yeah, towards. Yeah, yeah. I think that they still do a very good job. Uh, team coach does. Obviously, I'm just a bit older now. Select do some things okay, I think. Um, what once, they do, once a year with yeah, Optimum. With what they do with Optimum and Supremacy, I think that yeah. they do that the right Twice way. Twice a year. <laughs> uh, yeah, in terms of the hobby stuff, that they could be doing a lot of things better but at the same time they're they're not producing stuff that people don't like but i think that's impossible um i think that no matter how bad you make the product that any fan of the afl was still going to buy them like there are some absolute card nuffies that come in here and they're 50 and still collect football cards i know i just think that compared to what compared to what we see every day in the landscape of nba cards and other sports cards yeah tops cards where select are and the graphics that they produce and the inserts they produce for their cards, you know, yeah, cute little cartoons every now and again and, and what have you, they're nowhere near the level they should be Yes, for what Australians deserve to have as their national sport. And as the only company licensed to produce them at this very moment, I'm hoping Fanatics change that with their current merchandising agreement with the AFL that they've just inked. Yeah. I think select could have done so much more with the football card market because it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jackson, it feels like every single year that football comes out, it's like whatever happened the year before, throw all those cards out. They're actually worthless. Yes. No one wants them anymore. Sad Move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah, they, they make select, tailor it to you have to get this year's stuff and then as soon as it goes to the next year, worthless. Worthless. Um, they do some things that I would say uh, – are terrible like they don't have any autographs actually pullable in any of the hobby hobby uh normal footy stars products which i think that they should be doing considering that any afl player will sign anything you give them so they're not going to have to do redemptions like they do instant wins are cool and that if you get a box but you can just stick the, all those virtuoso autographs and stuff in the packs it would be so so much better um, I think the one thing that you, uh, they do have to change is from a longevity standpoint, um, put a rookie card logo on there or yep. something. Team coach have started to do it. Yep. So they've got a rookie wild card now that they do every year, which is I think something that will make the product a lot better down the track in terms of I want a card from 2022. When we're in 2027, I've got to go get his rookie wild card. That's the only card they did. Whereas select, there's no rookies. They do it for Optimum and stuff, but I think they have to have it in the Select and the Footy Stars. With what they're charging a box for Optimum Supremacy, of course they have to. Yeah. But you know what? Have that product available more than once a year. Of course. And yeah. And don't make it it so selective that you can only ever go to one place to get it. Yeah. That's the biggest, you know, that's the biggest problem. Well, when I say one place, I mean one place in Adelaide where we currently are. But it is extremely hard to get your hands on such a limited product that Select runs. And because Select are the only ones doing it, you're forced to buy into that product. In the meantime, please take our 3 and $7 retail and hobby packs as what you have to, in, what you have to pretty much collect up until the point when they come out. 
yeah, which will be in about six months' time still. You're going to have to wait till uh, all the finals are done. You know, the premiers have been, obviously, that's all happened. The premierships have been won. The awards have been, yeah, it's a, it's a long wait. Uh, I think that they have to make the waiting process a lot uh, less harsh on the um, consumers in terms of, oh, there's so, yeah, there is a lot of stuff that they could be doing. Better. I just think, you know, Aussies love their footy. 100%. Okay, and if you bring a premium product and yep. that product is available all year round and moves and evolves with the sport and does it in different styles like Panini does with their different sets, people will get behind it. Of course. A hundred percent. It's unfortunately, it's the fact that they can rest on their laurels having been the only licensed product in the AFL besides Team Coach yeah. that produced this level, at, at this level anyway, because Team Coach, like you said, it, it's more for kids. It's designed around kids. Yes. And they are significantly cheaper a pack. But please don't fall into the same trap as what NBA cards are at that very bottom level, which is complete and utter throwaways. There is not a card in my store besides AFL that the year after you rip it is worthless. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's the one thing that I don't think they will improve on because they're just like, we sell out of it anyway. Like I said, with the induction of Fanatics coming in as merchandising partner of the AFL, yeah. Fanatics also having bought Rebel Sport in Australia, obviously moving into this landscape, I'm assuming that we're going to have a Tops Australia website soon. I would hope. I'm hoping so. I think that's the way that it's going to be going. I am really hoping that they're going to move away from Select, give it to Fanatics, which obviously will already have the infrastructure, and hopefully moving forward we can have more than one set of football cards a year I'd besides so. Optimum Supremacy. Yeah, I'd hope so. Because I think that would be cool Yeah. to have like, you know, different – imagine, you know, you've got your normal sort of um, – uh, you know your, your your hobby cards and then you've got your recons and then you've got your origins yeah. or you've got this different types of sets that people can collect yeah trust me when i say aussies will back behind you and buy that product of course i think that they do need to realize that stuff and hopefully fanatics um can kind of put that set that all up and uh, kick it into gear. And if they don't, I hope, you know, if they don't and select still hold on to the merchandising rights, uh, sorry, the licensing rights for the cards, then I sincerely hope that they heed some of the advice in the market because I know it's not just me that's saying oh, this. Heaps. heaps of people are saying it. I hope they do heed that advice and do start to ramp up discussions around having these particular, you know, products around for us, a little bit more variety. So that's my rant. On AFL cards. Yeah. Anything to add, Jackson? Nah, I think you spoke about it all. Uh, Do you agree well. or? Yeah, I 100% yeah? agree. Um, I'm always going to be a fan because I love the sport and I think a lot of people would follow uh, my path as in anything that comes out, you're going to want to try it, collect it, yep. stuff like that, especially if they introduce like rookies and autographs and like they do with the optimum and supremacy stuff. Yeah. They're on the right track if they just, if they do it more and they have it around and all year round and they bring out more product sets. People will get behind it. Absolutely. I want to move on now to something that is definitely worth a discussion, especially having it with you in and around NBA cards. We grade a lot of cards here at Mayhem and we grade a, a pretty generous mix between NBA predominantly as a sport, yeah. some NFL thrown in and then the other TCGs. When it comes to grading NBA cards, 
what is the advice you can give to people looking to to have it done? What cards do you recommend grading as opposed to what cards do you hold off on grading? I will jump in here just before you have a chance to speak and say the reason I say that is because as we know there are some cards out there or some sets out there um, like Noir, you know, and and their beautiful sneaker spotlights, like Noir, Spectra, um, Eminence. Eminence, that are notoriously bad graders, have notoriously bad print quality, especially around the edges because of how thick the cards are. And generally because of that, there is a rule in the market that you don't have them graded. No, um, same same goes for one-on-one most of the time, the one-on-one products that Panini do just because they come already sealed. Yep. Um, as in, in terms of grading, honestly, me personally, I'm not the biggest fan of grading cards just because I'd rather take the risk factor out if I'm going to grade a card, it's either because it's got no chance of potentially going up in value over the next three months and I'm happy to send it off to America if it looks really nice. But if I'm going to submit a card like a rookie card, first of all, you've got to send it to the US. So we obviously do it with PSA, which is the best grading company there is out there in my opinion. I agree. Um, Shout out to PSA. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of things could go wrong in the three months and you've got nothing you can do about it. It could come back a 10, but by the time it comes back a 10, his ACL is gone. Oh, okay. So it's not the risk of sending it to PSA. No, not the shipping it's, as it's, such. It's waiting. It's waiting for that card to come back. And listen, even even generally, even our bulk submissions, we get back within about thirty days, yeah, forty days, which is which is quick when people think of PSA submissions. But you're right. In the world of sports, it's a it's an eternity. Yes, it is an eternity. Especially with what we were speaking about before with the market being so mm-hmm. volatile and bouncing up and down. Yeah. We don't have the luxury of being in America where we can send off our cards and have them back within a couple of days. Uh, yeah, 100%. And as well as that risk, another risk is I don't want to have a card that I bought for, say, 100 bucks, a grader, and it comes back an eight. Although, albeit a very good grade in, some, in the grand scheme of things for like a vintage card. Something along those lines. An eight does nothing to the value of the card. Whereas instead of buying the raw card for a hundred dollars, paying forty to fifty bucks to get it graded, I'm into the card for 140. I can spend 200, 220 and guarantee myself a PSA 10. That is something that I'd much rather do a hundred times out of a hundred, just because the risk factor is so much lower. Okay. And I don't have to worry about it's obviously the time over there, damaging the card. It not getting a 10. Obviously, everybody wants a 10. If you don't get it, oh, it sucks to be you, I think. When when you say that, at what level is it worth getting the card graded? And I'll use I'll use your example of the card that you pulled out of your first box. Your cracked ice Anthony Edwards. Now, that card, let's just say hypothetically, in today's current market is worth three thousand dollars. Yeah. Right? Hypothetically. If I was to grade that and that was to come back a 10, I could potentially be, based on the population, I mean, it's a numbered card, isn't it? 49, yeah. 49. So at, at, the ver- yeah. at the very most, at the very most, I'd say that the pop count on that as a 10 with the auto rated as a 10 as well would be less than 10. Yes. I, I would say that's a – and when I say pop count, pop count refers to – A PSA population. PSA population. So there's a QR code on the back of every PSA slab now. Um, that you can scan it, look at the population of your card grading in that number and also shows you the cards are graded higher than yours as well and it also gives you a rough 
higher auction price as well. Yeah, it's essentially saying how many of those cards exist in that PSA grade. Yes. Of that exact card. Not of a similar card, but that exact card. How many exist yeah. with that grade. So if you talk about the potential upside of getting a card like that graded, $3,000, I mean, getting a 10 could potentially increase that to a four, five, six thousand dollar card. If it was a ten, then the pop counts lower. Correct. Than 10 as well, yeah. So there is a point that grading a card does become financially viable, a financially viable gamble. Um, look, on the flip side of what I just talked about, personally, I'm not the biggest fan of grading cards, but you're right. It does get to the point where if I've got a, if I'm opening a box of national treasures, you'd be stupid not to grade the cut the rpa you get out of it just in the fact of it's now in a psa slab the grade doesn't affect it as much you just have to have it in a slab if you get the auto graded a 10 realistically if the card's above an eight you'll get market price for it uh, obviously getting a nine five or a ten is extremely good and it will upgrade the value but you're right it does hit the point where of a card's worth a lot it looks good i don't mind sending it away for three months especially the time i would recommend doing that is in the off season mm -hmm. agreed um yeah, it, you're right. I do grade cards, but not really basketball cards. It has to be specific. Yeah. It has to be very specific with NBA cards. With NBA cards, you're right. When people look at graded cards, a lot of the market when it comes to an athlete is based on their prism rookie card in a PSA 10. Yeah. That's prism, what people look uh, at. Prism base 10 and a prism silver and 10. And a prism silver 10. Correct. That's what people look at as the base market indicator yep. for that particular athlete. So graded is important. But on that level, Jackson's right. Oftentimes, rather than grading your own card that you've pulled, minimize the amount of liability that you have in getting that card back as a six, seven, eight, or nine, and just get it as a 10 if that's the card that you want. Yeah. If, you're, if you've hit a big card, a big card in excess of four, five, six hundred dollars, depending upon where that card was pulled and the set it was pulled from, there is definitely a benefit in grading that card yes. because of how much more you can potentially make on it. A hundred percent. The multiplier for getting a 10 goes up significantly. Yeah. The biggest problem that I've got with basketball cards, and it's purely a problem that I have, some people might not have it at all but it is certainly individual to me, is that, and you can attest to this, Jackson, or you can disagree with this, I tend to think I have a pretty good eye when it comes for grading. Yep. Most of the time with TCGs, I'm bang on. Yep. Basketball cards, I feel like I can look at, convince myself it is, it is a minimum nine, a strong candidate for a 10, and it can come back a six, and I honestly have no idea why. Uh, yeah, neither do I. I think that's just how PSA are sometimes. Like you talk about how long they have to actually grade a card. Yes. It is extremely short. They could get it wrong. It's human. It's not all a robot yet. Um, I think that AI grading will become a thing very soon. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I agree. Which will be good and bad. Um, I think as well as that um, it's hard to say how like you think a card's going to grade. Obviously, if you can see it's got a slight imperfection on it, sometimes they don't care. If it's off-centered a bit, they don't care. Other times, it's a difference between getting 
a nine or getting a seven, depending. It's it's extremely random. Yeah, I feel like honestly, when it comes to breaking slabs and having them regraded and or just having the card raw because I don't like the score that it's got, it's only really ever happened to me in NBA cards yep. or sports cards. It's never actually. I'm just going to say NBA cards because even the other sports cards, I've been I've been you know quite happy with the results that I've gotten. It just feels like with NBA cards, man, I can't pick it at all. Yeah. Speaking from experience too, I'm like, oh, this could grade all right. But then I just convince myself there's no point. If I'm wrong, <laughs> yeah, feels I like might that. as well just buy the card. In its yeah. end. It's just so much safer as well as you don't want to grade. Uh, the one thing I will uh, attest to everyone listening, um, there's no point grading a card if the card is cheap. So any sort of base rookie card, I just stay away from grading unless you are super confident in it getting a 10 because any prism base rookie card is going to fetch you at the max. It doesn't matter what player it is in the current market will fetch you about a max um, bar Luka Doncic and things like that, about 50 bucks. Yeah. Uh, which is what it will cost the cards. What, what you're grade. saying is already pro- – unless they're already proven players within the NBA. Yeah, if it's a new rookie card. If it's a new rookie no card, no point. Just not because, at not at Australia's price point of what we're paying uh, for. PSA. Just because the shipping is massive, and if you get a nine, let's say you get a nine, great score, right? We looked up a Michael Porter Jr. PSA nine prism. It's worth eight dollars twenty four USD, which is about a quarter of the grading cost itself. Not even the card price. Not even the raw card price. Just because America will always be king in terms of grading. Um, uh, it's different for other card games as such. But in terms of NBA, America's always going to be king because you can grade the card for 19 US dollars. Less. Less even for a, yep. a very bulk submission. I think it's nine. And the shipping might only cost you 20 bucks. If you're shipping a big package of 100 cards, it might weigh a kilo, it costs you $20 US, $29 you can get 100 cards back from grading. So the grading cost on average is about 50 cents. Yeah, that's right. We, we, we do it. We Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have access to it here in Australia. But you're right. From a financial standpoint... It doesn't make sense to do that with basketball cards. Be very selective when you go for grading. Also, when I say be selective when you go for grading, be selective in the types of graders that you choose. Not just I'm not talking about graders such as myself, which act as um, you know a, a third party to the or a middleman. Uh, that you know what our job is to do is to completely completely curate the experience for you, yeah. so that you can drop off your cards, know that they're safe, know that they're insured. They're tracked, they're shipped, we're in contact with PSA. We get all of the updates from them on every stage of the process. When we get them back in, we're responsible for the shipping and the insurance on the other end of it as well. You have your cards back, they're they're collated, they're documented, they're presented and they're given back to you. I'm talking about be selective with who you grade with. There are two main grading companies out there that I would say, I'm not gonna include SGC in the conversation, they are Beckett and PSA. Yes. There is benefits to going Beckett and there are benefits going Beckett, sorry, and there are benefits to going PSA. As a rule of thumb, I only use PSA. Yep. Reason being is that, you know, I'll use that quote that you sort of coined me on. They are the universal currency for grading. Yep. Yep. Everyone compares it to if it's a Beckett 9.5, then a lot of people say, oh, it's a PSA 10. Well, no, a PSA 10 is a PSA 10. Yeah. A Beckett 9.5 is a Beckett 9.5. A Beckett 10 will always fetch more than a PSA. Yes. But you need to get that Beckett 10. And you also need to pay for subcategories and other things. And generally, you need to wait longer. And it is more expensive mm-hmm. overall in the 100%. long run. 
most of the time with the basketball cards that we see, PSA is completely where you need to be. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The one time I could justify seeing a card to BGS is like we got Scotty Barnes. Personally, I would have sent it to BGS just because a 9 and a 9.5 is so much different in terms of those natural treasures um, and PSA only limits you to a 9. But in terms of that, that's it. Yeah. When you say limits to a nine, you mean they don't do halves? PSA don't do halves. No. Whereas Beckett, they do. Obviously, you do have to pay more, which sucks. But we, PSA's like leveling of things worked out to be we had to pay a load for that card to get graded anyway, just because it broke so many limits uh, dollar-wise because of the value. And that's the other thing too. Just be prepared. Jackson actually brings up a really good point, which I should have touched on. When you are grading with PSA, understand that with basketball cards, the higher-end basketball cards, you are not going to be as accessible in terms of your price point than most of the other cards that get graded through PSA. You're not going to be able to be applicable for a $50 bulk submission or what have you. You're going to be ending up paying on, on say, a $10,000 card, you're going to expect about 1000 to $1,500 in fees. Yeah. Also because we're from Australia, the, the insurance is more. Correct. And that's exactly. Terrible. The benefit that you have is that your turnaround time is a lot quicker. Absolutely. So they'll give you far faster turnaround time. However, because of your insured value is so much higher than that baseline, you know, I think the baseline is about 500, 500 yeah. bucks uh, yeah. or thereabouts. If you have a $7,000 card that's raw, $7,000, then, you know, you're paying essentially the fees to insure that card for $7,000 there yeah. and back. Yeah. And also the fact that once PSA have it in their hands, they can potentially destroy a $7,000 card. Yes. Not that it, listen, I, we haven't had it happen. Not once. But certainly that comes Touch into the liability and that's what you're paying for on the back end of things. Oh, absolutely. I think that, yeah, as a, as a safer person myself in terms of grading, I'd rather just buy the cards. I think that's the point I'm going to get to just because grading is so important. Like you spoke on, grading is probably the most important thing other than the card itself is the grade. Um, in a 10, it sees the biggest percentage increase. So getting your cards graded is very, very important if you want to fetch a higher price, if you want them to increase more. But yeah, I'd say in terms of TCGs and other things, I'm all for grading them because it does so much for the cards, especially with PSA. But basketball, you're better off um, in the off-season, 100% grade the cards if you think they're having a good off-season. Obviously, all the prices go down. If you're going to be like, all right, I can send these off at the start of the off-season, it'll be the NBA draft. And then by the time I get them back, I'll just be around when the summer league starts. Perfect. That's the one time I can justify sending a massive lot off to PSA of all Prism rookies and being like, yeah, all right, this is how I want to do it. And then by, by the time the season comes back around, there's a bit of an increase. And that's the thing too with basketball. You know, being in Australia and being having the time delay on – oh, we can watch the games live, but having the time delay on getting our cards back from grading and what have you, just be mindful that, you know, the market's going to move a lot – during the regular season and then during the playoffs and then what it will most likely do like it always generally does is that it's going to drop off significantly yeah come postseason yeah because going back to it there's just no hype there's no hype around basketball no, no one's talking you might be talking about you know the rookies that are coming up and then summer leagues there and then you might see some rookie some rookie showcase and there'll be rumblings but the season hasn't started there is going to be a time in the industry that is a great time for potential collectors, potential money makers and investors to get in on the hobby that I think is the most understated P 
piece of advice in this industry. Do what you do with stocks, as Jackson said. Treat them as stocks. And what's the best thing to do with stocks? You buy them low, you sell them high. Absolutely. I think the best time, uh, prime time, I've said before to a customer is is the off season. Yeah. As well as hot tip. You get to do so, that's the most important piece of advice is just do your research in the off season. Like there's so much you can learn there's not you're not going to miss out on anything because if the season's done there is so much to watch and especially that it's it's nba draft time in yeah. the off season there's that much informational stuff that's put out just to be in their draft to be in their draft information that you can just pick up just because you watch a video about them they're just they list all this stuff you usually have to delve deeper on but you get it because they're about to be drafted like it just goes straight into their draft notes you can see where they played college their upbringing stuff like that how they went, stats, height, wingspan, vertical, three-point percentage, all that stuff that you usually have to look a bit deeper into during the season and you miss out on looking at other things. But because it's the off-season there, as well as all that, the prices are extremely good. You know, and for those that are still listening and Jackson and I could probably spend the next 20 hours here <laughs> talking about basketball cards just in particular. But I'm going to go back to what Jackson said just to reiterate. You can, in the basketball market especially, which, and the reason why we talk basketball market is because it's the biggest card market in the world. Absolutely. It eclipses every other market combined. Whether we're talking hockey, NFL, even soccer, the world game. Yeah. This market in NBA cards is the biggest that there is. Absolutely. Trump's baseball, maybe not some of the older baseball stuff, but certainly modern Mm -hmm. trumps everything. You can be whatever trader... And you can trade however much and however frequently and be whatever type of investor that you want in this market. You can be the investor that sits there during the playoffs and buys and sells and buys and sells and makes their money just during that time. You can be the person that at the start of the season uses all the research and knowledge and information that they have at their disposal to make informed decisions on the cards that they want to buy and hopefully that pays off for you. Or like we're touching on now, you can be the type of investor that is patient, that is willing to buy when cards are low and not at their hype and be quite reserved in the way in which you trade. There's not one way of trading basketball cards throughout the course of the season that is the right way of doing things. There are so many different ways of doing things. Right now, there will be a ton of people, a ton of astute investors buying up cards like Luka Doncic who has yeah, myself no, included. Yep, there you yep. go. No hype around him at all. No one's talking about Luka Doncic. People are looking and going, you know what? They'll make it next year. It's Luka Doncic. Or at the very least, he's going to continue to be extremely exciting to watch and no doubt he's going to put up, like you said, Jackson, highlight real stuff. So there's a ton of people right now going, easy, his cards have dropped significantly. I'm going to go and grab them. I'm going to go and find me some bargains in the hobby right now and I'm going to capitalize them on them later on. And that's just another way of doing things. So more than one way to skin a cat in this game. Would Absolutely. you agree? 100%. All right. Well, listen, I, I'm happy having covered everything that we've covered. I'm really looking forward to what fanatics are going to bring to the industry. I think there's a ton of new exciting products that are releasing. Jackson, you keep your finger on the pulse more than anyone. What products are you most looking forward to? Uh, upcoming would be 
um, Flawless is still yet to release for 2122 products. Huge product. The biggest product. The, big, the biggest that they do, yeah. Um, obviously, loads of delays. We're halfway through 2023. Yeah. And they haven't released a product from 2021. That'll be probably number one on my list just from the pure price point. Like it's still Giddy's rookie year. Um, and then number two for me will probably be Select coming up for uh, 2023. will be another big one that I'm looking forward to. Apart from the products that are being released, what's on the radar for you? Are you still looking at NBA, NFL, anything else? Um, I've noticed that you're doubling soccer cards every now and again. Yes, to an extent. One thing that surprised me that you and I started opening and I was absolutely taken aback by the prices of was the wrestling cards. I don't want to take too much away from this being mainly NBA-focused, but wrestling cards are are, are one product that we didn't expect to see the type of growth that we did, did we? Uh, It was just so much fun, wasn't it? It was. Uh, Me and you broke a lot of boxes. We did. uh, Ranging from Immaculate, Prism, Undercard now that they did, Select, Chronicles, they've all been super fun just because I think it was a take back back to there's a lot of people that I know that, Everybody watched WWE when they were younger at some point. Of course. And it's just a throwback to the stuff of like, oh, I remember this. It's just a bit of nostalgia for everybody, for people my age to everybody that watched it in the 80s. I just can't believe how many people are still watching it. Oh, it's insane. It's uh, apparently more popular than ever at wow. the current moment. Um, obviously, being WrestleMania has just been. Um, some of the prizes on those cards are insane. Obviously, we got super lucky with some of our cards. Um, but yeah, the prices for the box value is probably number one in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. I saw when UFC cards came in and, you know, they were gaining in popularity and traction, wrestling cards had sort of come in at a time where UFC cards were king of that. Uh, combat sp- almost. Combat, yeah, combat entertainment sort of sport. Then I saw it just go the other way. It's insane. Then I saw UFC drop off significantly yeah. and everything being geared towards W, wrestling. Yeah, wrestling products. So surprised. It was a really, really fun time opening that with you. Absolutely. SmackDown was probably when we were opening about a month or two away. Still am taken aback by the amount of people coming in here asking for wrestling cards and looking for wrestling cards. People love it. Absolutely. I still think of it as a quite a viable investment opportunity. Of course. Because of the amount of good content and good cards that are being yeah. put in those packs. I mean – you know, Chronicles in NBA is a very, very hit and miss product. Absolutely. Actually, in terms of Chronicles as a series, NBA is probably the weakest set when it yeah, comes it's to just sports. A lot of rookie cards. Yeah, just, and a lot of just value. cards that are out of print. I mean, NFL had things like one and one in there, and just stuff yeah. that the NBA never did. Wrestling Chronicles, amazing value. Yeah, they did. Um, they did a lot of stuff that. They've never really done in Chronicles before. They put one of one card, one and one cards in there. Uh, they put Panini one cards in there. They put Origins in there. It was just they had to make it fun, and I think they um, smacked the nail on the head with some of the stuff that they did. Because yeah, that was probably one of my most fun rips. I think the f- most fun for me was Immaculate. Yeah, the WWE uh, Immaculate. At the price point, it was at about five hundred and fifty bucks a box at one point. I think you couldn't have got any better value in anything you were going to open because it's like opening. It's the same bar. The actual sport it is it's the same as opening a pack of nba immaculate still get the same amount of autos and patches Mm -hmm. but in wwe there was way more value in them but at a quarter of a price at less than a quarter of the price yes nba immaculate's about three three i want to say and they were at 550 a box yeah it was insane the difference in price and just the the sheer value of some of those cards more than tripled the box price 
I want to run through, apart from WWE, some of the other sort of packs that we've ripped into across the sporting genre. Uh, I want to mention tops. We've ripped into hobby. We've ripped into the light versions of the Formula One. What did you think of those sets? Uh, big fan. Um, I got pretty lucky out of one of the hobby packs to get a guy. I've ne- I'd never heard of him. His name's Logan Sargent. I got his gold uh, refractor auto out of 50. I sold it for $1,000. Wow. Um, which is just sheer luck. I think that those, um, obviously, they are super sold out everywhere. Um, they have been super popular as of recently. I think that the documentary did a lot for it, as did the, oh, the Netflix end. series. Yes, yeah, so Netflix Drive series, to Survive. Drive yeah. to Survive. I think that did a lot for it. But the value in, so there was nothing higher. Obviously, you got your Sapphire, you got your Sapphire, and then you've got um, the top one. Ruby? Uh, or Emerald? No, no, no. It's, it's another set that they do. We've opened the Sapphire in store. Uh, we have opened the Sapphire in store. I want to say it's called Tops. Um, Whilst you're looking that up, we'll run through. So we've got the Formula One that we've opened. Every now and again, we'll play around with the NFL. Uh, the No Huddle was a lot of fun. Absolutely. The No Huddle. The Prism was great. Enjoyed that. Uh, everything to do with the NFL. I love they make those. Uh, the NFL Prism is probably one of my favorite boxes just to open, uh, just because those boxes are always, always loaded. They have so many nice inserts, cards. Uh, the the designs they do for them are so so much better than what they do for the NBA. They don't do case hits in the NBA. They do manga in the NFL. They do color blasts. Yeah, they look fantastic. Uh, they yeah, they're uh, amazing. And one of the things I wonder why color blast hasn't come to the NBA yet. It's in Spectra. It's in Spectra. They do it in Spectra, but the not in thing, Prism. Uh, it's weird. It's very very weird. But the one thing that I always say I'm disappointed about with the NBA is they haven't done a manga yet. So they've done it in college basketball, they've done it in soccer, uh, and they've done it in the NFL. They haven't done a manga uh, card in any sort of basketball product yet. I don't know if it's coming or what, but... I want to go through now just a couple of more things with you whilst I've got you on the couch. First of all, the hype around cards, obviously there has been a, a downturn in the market and the prices that some of the cards are fetching as opposed to what they once were. You and I spoke about before sort of another resurgence of, I guess, stuff that's going to be out there for people to look at and see and hopefully change the landscape a little bit as well and bring in some more momentum because the momentum, you know, like you said, the the hobby is growing, absolutely. We're seeing more and more people come in every day, more and more from an investment perspective and younger kids wanting to get into the hobby and, you know, dad's coming along too and investing into the hobby with their kids, mum's included in that, sorry. But... The moment, the momentum it's felt since COVID has sort of dried up a little bit. Well, not dried up, but certainly no, stalled. Dried up's right. Yeah. And considering what it was, but we, we touched on the fact that there's going to be a new movie coming out with Adam Sandler. Yeah. That is just around cards. Yep. Um, that we spoke about. There is the Netflix series for Ken Golden. Golden Touch. Yeah. Golden Touch that is releasing, I believe, today or tomorrow. Uh, on Netflix that is obviously going to drive a lot of curiosity back into the hobby, especially when, you know, it's focused around the prices and what some of these cards go for. And obviously people are going to be looking at resources like, you know, this podcast or whatever they can find on YouTube to gain more knowledge about it. Where would you say at the moment, besides these places that are more commercial, what are the places you mentioned? Uh, Sports Card Investor, I think he's got an app called Market Movers that they use to track market pricing. Would you just recommend people jump on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube? To learn? To learn? Yeah. Uh, do as much as you can. Instagram's been a good place for me. That's how I kind of 
got into it, just looking at people's Instagram feeds, like pull wax, backyard breaks. They always post like how the market's going as well. Yep. Uh, market movers do a really good job uh, of it. Unfortunately, there's not that many apps out. Some of these apps too, guys, the card ladder is another one. Yeah. Um, these apps are need well you need to pay for them yes to, to access them there are a ton of free resources out there for those that want chuck us a message of course anytime that he's in the store he's happy to give advice that is one thing that he is very generous with is his time and advice in getting people into this hobby that he is truly passionate about well man i think that's a wrap i think we've covered pretty much everything yeah i really appreciate your time brother uh, absolutely thank you so much for having me it's been an honor thank you jackson Thanks again, bro. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thanks, bro. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. And while you're at it, follow us on social media to stay up to date on all of the latest Mayhem news. We love hearing from you guys. So if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes or content, please feel free to reach out to us and let us know. Thanks again for listening. See you on the next one.